Welcome back to Double Oz 7 for episode 6, uh, but episode 4 of our uh, chronology of the uh, official movies in the franchise. Uh, we're on to Thunderball, which I'm very excited about, but not everybody here probably will be. <laughs> so thanks for joining us and downloading this uh, now that we're back online. I am live from Station C here in Canada, where water sports are not very popular, and my name is Colin. Uh, my name is Noel Groves, and it's your podcast against mine. And my name is Ben Waterworth, and I really hope that with this episode, you'll get the point. We, we've already discussed about half of the dialogue that is in this movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I'm a fan of Thunderball. We'll kind of go around and talk about it a little bit, but I'm just going to start off and say like I love Thunderball. There are a lot of things that I really love about this movie. There's some things, some of the aspects of Thunderball that I don't think were ever topped. But rewatching this, I can, I'm kind of worried about how much we're going to have to talk about. So <laughs> by the time you're listening to this, you see if we're at the four hour mark. And if we hit four hours, then this has been some funny stuff because <laughs> uh, half of this movie is underwater where there's not a lot of talking. Um, but nevertheless, I still love this movie despite some of the issues that we're going to cover here. Uh, what about you, Noah? Uh, well, I said at the end of the Miley and Dink Variety Hour that <laughs> I loved this film uh, because I love all the films. That's a bit overboard. I, I don't love this one. It's still a Bond film, so I do like it. Um, but just in the context of these first four, that original trilogy is just so good. And then you look at this one and it's like the worst main theme so far, the worst main villain so far, the worst main girl so far not really a a henchman in there well actually no a good henchman but i guess fiona is a good henchman henchwoman the film is a bit too long uh this is the first moments of real cringe in james bond um what else the felix i mean he's not as bad as cesspool linda but he's (laughs) he's no jack lord so like this, just in the context of these first four films, it's like everything is just worse, kind of, except for the filming. It, it's a very nice-looking film. So that's kind of teasing what I don't like about this film that we'll get into more in depth. But there is still some good in this film that we can talk about. But, yeah, just, man, <laughs> some of the stuff in this one. It's it been, like a lot of these older ones, it's been a while since I'd watched it and I kind of went into it with just no expectations, really, because I sort of remembered I, you know, liked it. I remember all the water bits, and you know, I remember the sharks because I'm a shark man for some reason. So sharks stood out for me in this movie. Um, but I think it felt so different to the first three, and it, it's it's a bit of a letdown after Goldfinger. Um, not to say that it is the worst. Um, 
But yeah, and there's just, to me, so many of the scenes kind of dragged out a lot longer than they, they could have, and I'm not sure if that came down to the water scenes and everything, but um, I mean, my biggest uh, positive for this on a rewatch was the return of Nicky Vanderzeel. Um, I just, I was so excited that Nicky was back! And that we could talk about her for the majority of this episode, no doubt. Yeah, uh, Nikki's back and better than ever. We got to do one of the Bond uh, taglines for us. Like, here comes the biggest Nikki Vanderzil performance of them all. <laughs> look up, look down, look out. Vanderzil's back. <laughs> Actually, the one Bond poster that I have in my room is Thunderbolt with that look out, look below, James Bond does it everywhere. Um <laughs> poster so um i don't own too many but actually i own a skyfall one but yeah the only poster i have up of james bond is thunderball well i actually realize i own um about three or four quantum of solace t-shirts because um <laughs> when i when i worked at no a, one ever. well when i worked at a certain music slash dvd store um we did a big promotion about the release of it so we had to wear quantum of solace t-shirts and i still have them in my drawer I'm gonna beg you to send me a Quantum of Solace shirt. I'm I'm happy I have to a send you one. Poster. There's a poster just a couple feet away from me of Quantum of Solace, and when we get to that, I'll have positive things to say about that. I'll be the lone wolf, kind of like on Thunderball here. Well, I'll send uh, it to you so you can wear it when we eventually get up yeah, to that episode. I think episode. we need to do a video one for Quantum of Solace, <laughs> and all of us just wearing Quantum of Solace t-shirts. <laughs> that would make the director happy, I'm sure. It's like an MGM promotion. We're back in 2008. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm going to say I agree with both of you on a lot of the points. This movie was in need of a tighter edit. And, uh, as good of a job as Peter Hunt did in a lot of these movies, I mean, this wasn't his crowning achievement. And I don't know if we can really blame Peter Hunt just on the fact this is too long because the whole movie's production was kind of screwed up, um, which we'll talk a little bit about here. Basically, you have to go back to very early Bond history here. You know, before there were ever any movies made before Saltzman and Broccoli had any right well, to this. Well, Pseudo Royale, Barry Nelson. <laughs> yeah, Barry Nelson in Climax, episode 109. <laughs> Jimmy Bond. After that, though, Ian Fleming really did see James Bond as something that could be on the big screen. And he was still in the middle of writing the books. But he came up with the idea of doing a James Bond movie, an original screenplay for a Bond movie. So... What happened is he sat down with two guys, Kevin McClory and Jack Whittingham. One of their names you're probably familiar with, one of them you're not, which is part of, uh, I think, the issue a lot of people have. Uh, but they sat down and they worked out this basic story for what would be Thunderball. And Thunderball was supposed to be just an original James Bond movie, not based on a book, just for the movies. And after writing a script or a couple of drafts of the script, some of them are out there. There's a book we might talk about a little bit later. It got shelved, and Ian Fleming, a couple years later, dusted it off as Bond was starting to get popular, dusted it off and turned it into his book, Thunderball. So at this point, Kevin McClory realizes, hey, we worked on that screenplay with you, started suing him, there are lawsuits galore, lawsuits got settled, Kevin McClory walked out of it. Now, there's a couple versions of the story uh, I want to take up too much time on this because we're going to have a lot to talk about once we get to Never Say Never Again, which came as a result of this. <laughs> but what happened, I believe, uh, was that Kevin McClory has the rights to produce Thunderball now as part of the settlement with Ian Fleming. 
Now, instead of going off and producing his own version, which would have been good for nobody because you have two competing James Bonds, what happened is he struck a deal with Broccoli and Saltzman and said, I will produce Thunderball. You know, it'll still be part of you. You guys can executive produce. Allow me to produce Thunderball and I get 20% of the profit. Obviously, that worked out great for Kevin McClory. <laughs> I don't know about the funny thing is I don't really know about the working relationship between them. But I think that's where a lot of the problems in this movie came from was that you have Kevin McClory stepping in here who wasn't really associated with the franchise and was a bit of an opportunist. Now, we should also say Ian Fleming made a big mistake by putting out this book without the permission or uh, getting the sign off of the other guys. But uh, do you have anything to add to that story, Noah? Well, yeah, um, I'm sorry. I'm kind of a kite dancing in a hurricane here. Um, <laughs> Again? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, in the Everything or Nothing 2012 documentary, the 50th anniversary kind of thing, they do talk about how incompetent Kevin McClory is as a producer, and they only did that to appease him. And you're right, I think that's where a lot of the issues with the film is him trying to step in here. And I guess the other thing we should mention is um, a lot of fans like to say that the reason Ian Fleming died was because of Kevin McClory. So Kevin McClory indirectly murdered uh, Ian Fleming because he, he had a lot of stress and pressure over the court cases and had a heart attack a few months later. So, um, yeah, Ke Kevin McClory killed our leader, I guess all I have to say. Well, I I really have nothing to add to any of this because um, I'm learning probably <laughs> everything right now that um, some of our listeners probably are because, I mean, I knew there was Never Say Never Again and there was obviously a, an issue in relation to this film as to why there were issues over the years, but um, as a little naive James Bond fan, clearly I have um, not been here to uh, to hear all this. So I, I'm just sitting here intently listening to uh, Mr. Hilding here. I'm loving this. The interesting thing, the thing that kind of always bothered me and I'm sure bothered other people is that the original lawsuit, from what I understand, the original lawsuit was just against Ian Fleming because of you know the lost rights the royalties or whatever from the novel Thunderball. And that was, from what I understand, Jack Whittingham was involved too, because there were two writers that Ian Fleming worked with. Somehow, though, Kevin McClory comes out of this with the sole production credits for Thunderball. Or, and as part of that deal, it allowed him that after a certain amount of time, I believe it was after 10 years, he would be allowed to remake Thunderball. But until then, he could only have the involvement in the Eon production. Where is Jack Whittingham in all this? And I, I tried to do a little bit of research, but it's hard to find. And I, uh, I don't think that this is why I say Kevin McClory. I don't want to really go out there and attack somebody without knowing the full story. But he really does come across more as an opportunist because if this was just about, well, they kind of he kind of poached our rights and we worked hard on this Thunderball. And, you know, now they've got this big franchise and Ian Fleming made a huge mistake by publishing this. And as we've gone through in some of the past episodes, this wasn't the first time where Ian Fleming kind of used maybe a character or a real person and got in a little trouble for it. So Ian Fleming obviously played his part in this. But <laughs> why is Jack Whittingham suddenly left out of this? And Kevin McClory has all these rights and spent years, which we'll go over later, trying to remake even Thunderball. So he's remaking a movie that he kind of squeezed his way into so uh noah do you know anything about what part between mcclory and saltzman and broccoli what part they may have played in the production i don't know completely and obviously none of the the main documentaries talk too much about it because uh 
I guess Eon weren't too happy about it and couldn't really comment on it until recently, but I don't think McClory had a huge amount to do just based on they labelled him producer, but of course Saltzman and Broccoli were executive producers, so um, I don't think it was like he had full control over the film, but uh, to the extent he did, I don't think anyone knows for sure, but I would like to say our Jack Whittingham interview exclusive spill all will be coming. <laughs> it will be, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we, we should point out that it's, this is more relevant than ever at the moment because this upcoming film, Spectre... Spectre? 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 Um, <laughs> this wouldn't exist if this lawsuit finally didn't come to a close. Um, that's the only reason the next film they did, Spectre, Spectre um, okay. was because they finally got the rights after, what, 45, 50 years... Um, of this ongoing lawsuit. So Spectre is back after Kevin McClory's downfall, I guess you would call it. I find it yeah, so no. fascinating that we have a situation where, what, 15, 20 years later, we get a spin-off James Bond film, which you know, you know we're going to get to. I mean, what other movie franchise do we really have where that is the case? I mean, I know kind of with the Marvel... Uh, sort of Avengers series, you know, there's differing rights over, say, the Spider-Man and, and the X-Men characters and over what movie studios own those and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I mean, imagine if, say, when Disney bought Star Wars, if there was a massive row over that and George Lucas is like, no, I'm keeping Chewbacca. You can't have Chewbacca. Um, no, you can't have uh, Jar Jar Binks. I'll keep Jar Disney wouldn't care about that. But And then, like, we have Episode 7 coming out and then like, George Lucas like, no, I'm making Episode 7. Like, it... It's it's kind of interesting to think out of all movie series in history, I mean, is this really the most um, well-known or well-documented rivalry where you have a spin-off allowed in a very, very popular movie franchise? Yeah, I mean, this really, there there is no comparison as far as I'm aware of out there. Because the most complicated thing, and I think this where some of the blame does have to fall to Ian Fleming just for clumsiness or maybe not being that uh, knowledgeable about legal rights and everything, some of the blame does come down to him because he probably came up with the majority of the story here and there are most likely a lot of things that evolved out of his mind that McClory and Whittingham were just sort of like putting it down, okay, well, let's work this into a screenplay. Fleming writes novels, we need to put it in the screenplay, but it was probably always Fleming's idea because Spectre, obviously Fleming had a bigger idea for Spectre smirsh had been around in all the books prior to this and all of a sudden specter comes in and i highly doubt they intended specter to be just thunderbolt obviously in the movies specter was introduced as early as dr no but in the books thunderball is where specter started so that's where it gets even bigger because as a result of mcclory and whittingham's involvement in the thunderball screenplay that existed before the novel suddenly they can say well because specter as an organization existed because blofeld is a character existed before these other books and it originated in thunderball now we're going to claim that we have the rights to blofeld and to specter as well which is why it's taken us so long which is why we had uh bold man down chimney credited uh, in <laughs> for your eyes only for your eyes only <laughs> yeah uh, oh, what a great role that was in fact uh, they're actually releasing a blu-ray set called the specter set in preparation for Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. Um, 
And actually includes for your eyes only in the Spectre set. So, uh, <laughs> for the, what, two minutes that <laughs> so we apparently, <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's an official Spectre film now, but um, I just want to uh, touch on... Ah, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah I agree. commentary as always. I agree. I'm just going to say, in, in Noah's absence here, for those who are looking forward to our groundbreaking interview with Jack Whittingham <laughs> that was recorded about 40 three years ago before his death <laughs> and decades before either of us were any of us were born that's what you have to hear so look forward to that soon we're very pre we like to pre-plan a lot um on double yeah. seven like we have ancestors who were like oh in the future mildred our great uncle uh, great nieces and net- uncle apparently will record a podcast <laughs> Not Mildred again. Oh, well, Mildred's always there. She's just waiting to Mildred talk. Mildred is the one who first made contact with Jack Whittingham back in the early 70s for us. So we're very thankful for that before his death. You leave Mildred yeah, and Bert out of this, Noah. <laughs> yeah, uh, 1985 was a sad year. Mildred's death. <laughs> <laughs> um, way back, you talked about how it's overly long and it's not really uh, Peter Hunt's fault, I guess you could say, and... I really honestly believe that you could cut 20 minutes out of this film being mm-hmm. a tighter film and you wouldn't get rid of any plot details. Like, there is probably a chunk of uh, scenes that aren't necessary or are edited the wrong way or overly long. Um, and, again, a lot of it probably does have to do with the script length rather than just the editing. But at the same time, like, in the book, The Underwater Fight, which the book actually does... It's quite similar the way they describe The Underwater Fight. You can picture it. Um, but that's, like, eight pages or something. So, like, I guess they did stretch a lot of the scenes out. But I do think you could cut a fair bit. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because, I, again, I do agree with you, but... One thing that I don't think we could really look past is the novelty of doing this at the time. And again, they're doing these flying scenes and they're doing these underwater photography that had probably never been done before. I mean, maybe a handful of movies had done a sequence or two underwater, most of them probably black and white. And here you have this great looking movie. And there's no doubt that even some of these overly long underwater scenes are a bit much. But at the time it probably had like the biggest impact ever. I mean, the, the the one thing we have to mention is that Thunderball is basically the highest grossing Bond movie of all time. If you're mm-hmm. looking at adjusted grosses, I mean, yeah. it made the equivalent of a billion dollars today. I mean, this is as big as the Avengers or the Dark Knight or uh, Jurassic World. I mean, it is still in some ways the biggest Bond movie of all time because obviously movie ticket prices were cheaper back then. For people going in, this had more admissions than any other Bond movie. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with what we're looking at now is these overly long, drawn-out underwater scenes that at the time, people this is like them going to you know an IMAX documentary now where people will pay a fortune just to see 30 minutes of underwater footage with no dialogue. And at the time, it tripled the budget of Goldfinger. I mean, Goldfinger basically combined the budget of Dr. Noah from Russia with Love. And Thunderball comes out, um, $9 million budget, um, you know, 60s money, that is. Um, whereas Goldfinger, obviously, was only $3 million. So, um, How much that in Gold Sovereign? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but, it, no, actually, they asked for them to be diamonds uh, dropped into a certain <laughs> location. But it's, I mean, it's, there were so many scenes, I feel, that it it still looked very... 
again, similar we're talking about golfing how it held up. I mean, there are lots of scenes that don't hold up over after oh. all these years, but a lot of some of the underwater shots do. And <laughs> I, I chase. <laughs> yes, the boat chase. But I think, I mean, Colin, you make a good point about like people go and see an IMAX movie and things like that to see underwater stuff. I mean, in 1965, you know, you, uh, 64, you didn't have the internet, you know, you didn't have things like that. So if you want to see um, certain bits of underwater and things like that, I mean, it wasn't as easily accessible. I mean, if you're into underwater and shit now, just Google it. But like back in 1964, <laughs> hey, I love underwater, Mildred. Let's go see Thunderball. <laughs> There was no Discovery Channel for Mildred back in the days of 1965. <laughs> yes. Um, if, if nobody else has anything to add, I do want to jump in. Themes at the most, and we'll touch on it. What, what was that? <laughs> Great. Awesome. Just want to add lib whatever you think Noah said there. <laughs> I'm Noah Groves, and I like water. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to move on here, and... Uh, we're going to start talking about the movie itself. And for, for a movie that we've all set up front, there's not a lot of things to talk about. I'm going to make the most pointless first topic you could imagine, which is the gun barrel scene. Because <laughs> as we had in Dr. No, Rush With Love, Goldfinger, it wasn't Sean Connery that we saw as James Bond in that opening gun barrel scene. Uh, it was Bob Simmons, the stunt double. So here for the first time, we have Sean Connery as James Bond in the gun barrel scene. And, I don't know if either of you guys have ever watched this closely enough or if you just don't even give it a second look because you've seen it so many times, but Sean Connery has a lot of trouble keeping his balance after firing the gun. <laughs> his legs are wobbling like crazy in this. No wonder Bob Simmons did it for three times prior to this. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't noticed that before, but um, clearly Sean's probably watched the first three and gone, all right, I think I can do that. And then he gives it a crack and he's like, holy shit, this is quite difficult. It's probably like the 30th take they've done it and they've just gone, oh, Sean, just leave it at that. You didn't fall over as much as the last 300 times, so we'll just keep it at that. Yeah, uh, Sean Connery had a couple too many vodka martinis before filming his gun barrel scene. <laughs> a little bit of trouble standing on two feet. It's something that I never noticed. Like like I said, you just don't even pay attention to the gun barrel scenes that much because they are all so similar. But it was brought up right around the time of Die Another Day. I remember reading somebody, you'd get all these forums out there where people were going, what is the best of this? What is the best of this? And somebody was doing like, what are the worst gun barrel scenes? And I saw somebody mention Thunderball because Sean Connery couldn't stand properly. And then I looked at him. Every single time I've seen it since then, I'm like, the man can't stand on his own two feet. How is he supposed to save the world from Spectre? Can I just quickly point out, it took us 22 and a half minutes to get our first me- reference of Die Another Day. So, woo! Oh! <laughs> and it wasn't even me who brought it up! Yay! <laughs> no, you're what? back! <laughs> yes, I'm here. Good. We're going to move on from the gun barrel seat, because... <laughs> Uh, I think we've said all that needs to be said on that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the opening scene, the pre-title scene for this movie, which I think is one of the, the better pre-title scenes, at least uh, if we're looking at the early days of Bond here. Not nearly as good as Goldfinger, but we have a lot going on here. You have a funeral for a JB that is not James Bond, and <laughs> Bond's there talking about this uh, guy Jacques Bouvard or whatever who killed some of his colleagues. Obviously, the funeral ends. Bond gets in a fight with a woman, or does he? <laughs> we know that Connery loves beating up women, but this time <laughs> it doesn't, because 
we have the first transsexual in the history of the Bond franchise, <laughs> and Sean Connery punches him in the mouth. Um, what do you guys think of this opening sequence? I just, uh, I love how Bond knows that it's um, a man when she says, you open the door by yourself. You can't be a woman. <laughs> like, I love that. Um, and we should point out that you talked about the gun barrel and it's Connery for the first time, but this is not the end of Bob Simmons because this person fighting is Bob Simmons, best known for the first three gun barrel sequences. So it's kind of cool to have a Bond on Bond kind of thing going on here uh, with Connery fighting his stuntman. Uh, but... Uh, I'm not big on this. It would just look ridiculous fighting the guy dressed up in high heels. And, and like, the fight was kind of cool, but I couldn't take it seriously. Um, spraying water at the end of it seemed like just a ploy to get into the main title sequence. Um, the JB, it's just like, why? <laughs> why do you have to pretend that Bond's dead for 10 seconds? Um, and, yeah, it's just... There's something about it that's off for me, especially compared to Goldfinger and even from Russia with Love. I do love the jetpack, though. Everyone loves the jetpack, but mm. not one of my favourite opening title sequences. But again, and I'll sound like a broken-down record, it's not the worst, but it's not the best. Um, there's just a lot of weirdness in here, I think. Well, at the time, of course, 50% of all pre-title sequences had involved the death of James Bond, apparently. So, um, there! It's relevant! Was it a well, not even 50%, two-thirds, because uh, Dr. No, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Three blind mice. Um But I just love the fact that when he punches, you know, the woman, that probably all the audiences were like, oh, yes, well, she had that coming. She didn't make him a sandwich. <laughs> like, I mean, at the time, like, that was just fine. Um, whereas now you watch it like, oh, domestic violence, James Bond. As if you're talking for the 60s audience. <laughs> well, I've got to put it into context. We're, we're sort of at the time we're at, folks. Like, um, My biggest question is, is why does Jacques Bouvet, or whatever his name is, go to his own funeral when he probably knows that James Bond's got it? Like, wouldn't you just be off, like, on a plane somewhere? Like, well, I think that's why he did go there. <laughs> what, to make sure that James was there to take him on. Well, to kill Bond. Well, <laughs> couldn't he just turn around and shoot him up in the, the wings rather than, oh, I'll wait till he follows me back to my uh, mansion so and break these million-dollar the antiques? Then? Like, who died then? Wait, <laughs> Dr. No. You guys are glossing over something big here. Why is he going to his own funeral as his own widow? Like, these are people who know him. He's probably got his mother there. It's like, I didn't realize he was married. Nice to meet you. Where's his widow? You two have matching beards. I didn't realize that. Widow? Maybe the widow's in the casket. <laughs> That's a good point, though, Colin. Like, you know, yeah. he's grieving mother-in-law who loved, absolutely loved his son-in-law, uh, son comes along and like, fuck, Mildred, you look different. <laughs> And the jetpack, I mean, uh, one of those things that you don't really notice until you watch the movie. Bond takes a lot of care in putting this jetpack into the trunk of his car before he drives off. But when he picks up the jetpack, it's just lying there on the roof. Anybody could have come by and stole that thing the whole time he was at the funeral. Like the janitor's out there on the roof, like shooting birds away. So Bond comes on the roof. What if he just saw a janitor like flying into buildings? He's like, oh, I forgot to lock up again. <laughs> Why does this <laughs> I always thought that this was a fake stunt. I didn't realise until re recently that someone actually 
did the, the stunt on the jet. Well, it was it was a big deal, wasn't it? Because, I mean, we've talked about, in, like, golfing the first time, a laser's being used in a movie and all this sort of stuff. But, like, I mean, jetpacks, I don't know exactly the history of the technology of a jetpack, but I, I, I think sort of at the time they were very new technology. And, again, you know, James Bond films, groundbreaking. Um, you know, it is often the talk of this movie, of course, is a jetpack sequence, and it only lasts, what, about 30 seconds. But, um, yeah, no, I, I knew that it was legit, although except for the, the special effect of a silhouetted Sean Connery flying up against the sky really quickly, which I have to laugh at because 1960s um, movie technology. Well, I'm I'm with you, Noah. When I saw this movie the first time, again, I went through this with Dr. No, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but... I got in. I saw like my first four Bond movies all in one day because these were on TV, and I watched this and I thought the same thing. And I just come off of Goldfinger, and you know they have some really good stunts in there and relocations. And I'm watching Thunderball, and I'm like, oh, this will be really good. And it only because of that blue screen shot, I assumed it was fake too. And it's unfortunate because it really does look great. Like when you can see this on Blu-ray, you could tell they used a real jetpack. And even more interestingly. The helmet was a, a result, like I wasn't in the script, it was a result of the fact that this was a real jetpack and they had a guy who was trained and licensed to fly this thing and he said, I'm not flying without a helmet because they didn't want him to use a helmet. So the helmet's in there because the stuntman refused to do it and it really shows you that this would have been a lot more dangerous than we thought. But yeah, because of those few rear screen projection shots or green screen shots we saw of Connery, I probably, I, I think I assumed it was fake too when it first came out. Noah's disappeared on us um, <laughs> again. Uh, he's gotten his jetpack and flown away, apparently. Um, <laughs> just looking here, um, the 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 idea of a jetpack emerged from science fiction in the 1920s, but became popular in the 1960s as the technology became a reality. So James Bond, clearly, you know, they're inventing lasers, they're inventing jetpacks, he um, invented the invisible car um, <laughs> no. 40 years later. Um, you know, clearly just a groundbreaking movie franchise, inventing all this very important technology. Yeah, and of course, there's a funny story later on with the rebreather that Bond uses, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, and the government's interest in this incredible gadget, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, this was the pre-tell sequence. We get a, a brief appearance of the Aston Martin again, and a couple of its gadgets, but you know, I, I'm somewhat agreeing with Noah. I don't think this is the best opening sequence, and the fight does look a little bit silly, but... There are a lot of good things in here. And the novelty of having Bond just punch this widow and then all of a sudden you realize, <laughs> oh, no, it's not a widow. Like, that was a pretty good gag. So, overall, I'm pretty happy with this pre-title scene. And we all, um, <laughs> again, just me thinking back to Austin Powers um, <laughs> when he punches the woman. That's not a woman. That's a man, man. <laughs> no, Austin, that's my mother. Uh, <laughs> which... Oh, it's hilarious! But I also just a special note to random Asian lady who does whose mouth does not move when she talks. Like they've, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if that's Nikki Vanderzeel doing the overdub of the voicing there, but just that open sequence. Like, isn't it strange how the initials are the same as you? And like her mouth does not move at once when she's quote talking to Bond. Yeah, there's a little of that later on in the junk canoe too, uh, where there's some bad dubbing. But uh, <laughs> this was probably a rushed movie and. I'm guessing, let's just blame Kevin McClory for pretty much everything. Let's just assume Kevin McClory had this terrible scene in there, and they're like, okay, well, let's just shoot it this way, and we'll just please Kevin for now, and then they get back to post, and Broccoli and Saltzman, and they're in there. It was like, 
Let's write some real life. Heaven! Yeah. Welcome back, Noah. <laughs> if you're there. That's the sound of the, the rear basement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've <laughs> We have recreated the exact sound effect from the movie. Well done, Noah. <laughs> yeah, that hose scene is not a highlight of the film. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Well, let's get to what I think is one of the highlights of the film, because I'm going to disagree with Noah on something here. I love the opening theme of Thunderball, and yep. I love these opening credits. Now, even if you're not with me on the theme, is anybody with me on the, the, the real title sequence that we see? I'm with you on both. I think the sequence is absolutely the best so far of these first four I think the song is overrated. I always get super bored by the song, and I don't get why people rate it so highly. But the sequence is just... It fits the film so well. It looks good. Um, and, like, compare it to Dr. No, and From Russia in Love was quite simple. Goldfinger was showing clips of the Bond party. <laughs> <laughs> Bond's tidy, apparently. Hmm... <laughs> <laughs> He's much cleaner than in Goldfinger. I think I agree. <laughs> well, he, well he's, he's underwater, so you know he's, he's <laughs> and he goes to a massage parlor for a while. So I'm sure he had a shower. <laughs> Noah. Yes. Hello, you're back. No. Ben, what did you think of the title sequence? Glad you asked, Colin. Um, <laughs> I I like, yeah, it's great. I think the it's easily, I agree with Noah from what we heard there, um, that it's the best one up to this date. And I don't know how you can't like the song, Noah. It's such a good song. And Tom Jones is just perfect for a James it's Bond so theme. He's J Tom Jones is like the male Shirley Bassey. I mean, he's Welsh. I think Kiss uh, Bang Bang, which is what the theme was supposed to be, is a better song than this. It's it just drags on. It's I think the theme is uh, a good representation of the film. Oh no, no. Could be, could be faster. Overly long. No, okay. Tom Jones Kiss is perfect Kiss. for it. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was probably a slower song than this. Yeah, but it's and this, it feels Bondy. And... This doesn't this feel the, Bondy? The, the trumpet? Bond theme in the air. Da, 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 da. Like every four seconds. Uh, no, the Johnny Cash one, that should have been the theme. Oh. <laughs> one thing I'm joking. Mentioned. The Johnny Cash one is ridiculous, but I'm not a fan of this theme song. I think Goldfinger and From Russia With Love was better. One thing should be mentioned, this song was a last-minute replacement, and I think that's one of the reasons why I look so highly on this song, because they were working on Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang over and over again. There were, what, like, three different people who recorded a version of it. Uh, pretty much up until the last minute, they had no idea if Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang would work. Eventually, they're like, give us another song, which is why the song Thunderball doesn't figure into John Barry's score at all. John Barry's score uses the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang theme a lot, but not Thunderball, because it was literally a last-minute replacement song. And the fact that they came up with a song that's this good at last minute, I think that's impressive. And the last note that Tom Jones holds, like, do we hear anything else like that in the whole James mm. Bond series? 
He's a well, brilliant rumor is that he fainted during that. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. that's true or not, though. But that's the rumor. Just wanna just wanna point out, like, uh, just cup quickly the lyrics that, uh, you know, great. Um, <laughs> he will break any heart without regret. Fair enough. Um, but any wo- woman he wants... I know I got that around the wrong way. Any woman he wants, he'll get... He'll break any heart without regret. So Bond's a prick. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I also like the fact that he knows the media success. His needs are more, so he gives less. <laughs> so in bed, clearly Bond just breaks heart, is a prick. He gets over and done with, and then only gives less, but he's still apparently good enough to help change Pussy Galore's mind to save the world. But anyway, imagine if he gave full 100% every time then. I just imagine um, the line, he always runs while others walk. I just imagine Bond in school and no running in the corridors. Everyone else is just walking. Bond's running everywhere. Around the swimming pool. No running around the pool, Mr. Bond. Well, I, I really do love that his needs are more so he gives less because there's two things said in there. One, he's self-centered and the other that he's really lazy. <laughs> And what yeah, is like? And he strikes like Thunderball. Like we understand in the movie that they call the Operation Thunderball. Like all these spy movies have some weird title: Operation Spider Cat, Operation Mouse Burger. You know, <laughs> Yum. this is this is not referring to a mission. He strikes like Thunderball. What is a Thunderball? Um, a, a ball of thunder. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking it was in but, reference to some other part of his anatomy. Uh, uh, well, the, the problem with your theory, Ben, is it would be he strikes like lightning balls. <laughs> Thund- thunder isn't um, an object. Well, according to Urban Dictionary, um, Thunderball is a glorious game emerging from the coattails of old, old standard professional baseball, highly controversial due to the extreme nature of the game. So uh, Bond the baseball player? <laughs> how how lame is that? Now you gotta think, let's go back pre Bond phenomenon. Thunderball, some people, not everybody, but some people will know as a sport. Can you imagine if instead of Spectre, Bond twenty four right now is called Extreme Frisbee? Like what would people <laughs> look at this movie like? Extreme Frisbee. I, just, I, I love the silhouettes of the girls, but where were they in the film? Yeah. The naked swimming ladies in the film with the spear gun. Do you wonder if any well, of these women in these Bond pre-title sequence, like the, the opening bits, have ever gone on to bigger things? Like, do they go into an audition? Yes, I was random naked girl number well, four in the sun. <laughs> well, we also know, hold on, we also know if we go back to Dr. No that Martine Beswick, who is the random dancing girl in Dr. No credits, played the gypsy girl in Rush With Love gypsy, and will yeah. appear here in, and she appears Hola. in Thunderball. Mm. So... Probably because she was Terrence Young's mistress. Again, don't want to start rumors, but let's look at facts. But she went on to success, at least in this franchise. Well, no- notice how she wasn't in Goldfinger, and he, of course, didn't direct Goldfinger. So, exactly. Yeah. See, not rumors. We're looking at the facts. She's the physical form of Nikki Vanderson. Yeah. <laughs> but her moves are still dubbed over by Nikki Vanderson. <laughs> um, let's jump into the movie here. We get to see Spectre right away. Uh, the introduction of Largo... Oh, what can we say? Largo was introduced earlier than almost any villain in Bond history. But yeah. this is one time which I'll kind of agree with Noah. Largo is not a very memorable villain, despite having more screen time than almost any other one we've seen. But I think part of that is due to how he's introduced. Because this first scene, 
we're not really paying attention to Largo. We're paying attention to Blofeld. And we get this huge setup with the boardroom and apparently Spectre special executive counterintelligence terrorism revenge extortion only deals in extortion because all these guys reports are just about extorting money out of people <laughs> we get like the great electrocuted chair and everything like this has to at this point no are you one over yet uh well i should say this is the a department um the other departments uh the revenge department is in Istanbul, so <laughs> this is just the E department. That's why they're all about extortion. Um, um, well, this scene is a highlight, and I love seeing question mark back. And <laughs> you at this point, and the meeting of the minds, um, all men, uh, Spectre, a little bit sexist. Uh, <laughs> Actually, Wait, number three was a woman. Well, yeah, they couldn't trust women after Rosa Klebb. Uh, no, it's uh, the front bench of Tony Abbott's government. I mean, it's yeah. one woman, the rest are men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who would thought that Thunderball would be uh, commenting on Australian politics? Well, that's... Yes, exactly. And who knew that Tony <laughs> Abbott was Blofeld? So. <laughs> and I didn't know he owned a pussy, but apparently he does. Her so. name is Julie Bishop. Hashtag Australian politics jokes that no one else is getting. Anyway... <laughs> Um, one thing that we kind of skipped <laughs> yeah. over here, when, when Largo's introduced, did anybody else find it funny when the, the cop the says, parking. no parking here, <laughs> yes. and Largo turns around and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir, was he doing that because he's like, oh, I didn't realize you were half blind, park wherever you <laughs> like, this is a disabled spot, go right ahead. I like the fact that when he's, when he goes through the, four, whatever the building is, it's like what a, a a visa application place or something, is it? Like, they're all arguing over something. I don't know. And he goes through that door to get to the secret door. There's clearly nobody there, but he's still turning over his shoulder like, but act suspicious. Somebody <laughs> might see me. And then he goes through another door and he still checks over his shoulder like, mm, maybe somebody saw me go through the first one. And then he goes into, like, this giant room. Like, who I is he looking to... for? Maybe he farted. And he's just like, mm, I wanted to be, um... did anyone smell that? I think they should have used the three blind mind. One blind eye. There it goes. I really love how this scene. I maybe a bit of a hypocrite because I talked about how I like the pre-title not to be connected to the movie, but I like how the pre-title seems like it's an individual mission, but then it kind of get ties in here because I'm thinking, oh, Bond just happens to be in Paris, at exactly where the Spectre thing uh, is. But I like how they tied that in with uh, JB being killed and he was a Spectre agent. JB Hi-Fi would have um, loved the free advertising. We should have mentioned that <laughs> before. Um, I I just love the whole setup. It's just, you know, the big evil room with the evil people around, a big evil table, and, you know, he's just stroking his cat like, what did you do with that one? Oh, no, that's embezzlement. And he presses a button. And, and I've always wondered, in terms of, like, promotion with Inspector, you know, now that number nine and number ten or whoever it was is dead, does, like, number, you know, the next one below him automatically move into that chair? Like, number 11, you are now number Well, that's what 10. I was thinking, because um, there wasn't Kronstein number five, and then this one, there was also a number five. So I'm thinking, do they just get replaced? And we've met number one, two, three, and five. Who's number four? Number four. Never just met number four. <laughs> the bastard child of Spectre. 
<laughs> or maybe 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 it was a very beloved agent and they've retired number four. Like oh, <laughs> out of respect. That was Doctor No. Like oh, <laughs> Doctor No's dead. We love him so much. Let's retire number he four. He probably actually was number four, Doctor No. <laughs> Ben, you did say, like, they, they get to move into the next chair. Like, if you mean that literally, I'm really hoping that number 11 or whatever is asking for that chair to be steam cleaned first. Because it's got, like, his dead, burnt guts all over it. There's I a just, bit of poo on there. I like the idea of, uh, like, Largo's birthday party or something. Musical chairs in the Spectre office and whoever gets the wrong chair gets sucked into it and gets electrocuted Spectre musical chair do they get sick of being called by numbers like my name is Largo not number two I'm sick of being called number two especially uh, did you and again I never noticed this until I watched it uh, just before we recorded this but the first thing he says to Largo when he comes to sit down number two is like is there a second part to that joke stand up number one sit down number two (laughs) it's uh, kind of a bit like uh, James Bond. It's like Top tells everyone his name is James Bond. And Ligo tells everyone his name is Emilio Ligo. So why do they even bother with the numbers? And and when you apply, like, do they have like app- internal applications, like a um, community board with inspector? Like, applications open for number three. You can only apply if you have the following credentials. <laughs> like... How many numbers are there? Yes. Oh, number 736. Oh, I'll get to number 600 one day. <laughs> the Spectre intern. Yeah. <laughs> Make me this? a cup of tea. <laughs> I'm oh, number 812. Number. I'm one spot ahead of you, 811. <laughs> There's another thing that uh, I think you mentioned, Ben, about how you know let, we're sitting around our evil boardroom table and stuff. and I think the Bond movies are too often unfairly stereotyped as being like these evil plans for world domination when for the most part there's a little bit of a cartoonish to the movies but especially with these terrence young movies like you can take them pretty seriously but this scene is that one scene that i love where you get a little bit of that absurdity to the villains (laughs) because it is like yes we extorted you know this guy for 300 million dollars and then they're like unfortunately we only got 40 billion from this guy (laughs) we expected 30 300 million that was only a fraction of what we expected like their expectations are so high and they have such disappointment unfortunately we only killed 70 people this past weekend it's it's a bad business plan because all the money they get just goes in the money's going nowhere it's just a never-ending loop of getting money they just want something to do and and why when and I understand the reason why Blofeld's face is covered because, oh, we can't have that reveal just yet. But, like, do they get sick of not being able to see his face? Like, they're all looking up at this, like, glass box and, oh, I just see some guy patting a cat. Like, what if the real Blofeld is, like, tired that day? That could be anyone. They can't see his face. What they don't realise is that the real Blofeld is gone and Professor Dent has assumed that identity (laughs) after taking his own death. Yeah, the good twist would be the wizard... Well, the man behind them then like, <laughs> out pops this tiny old man or something who's dishevelled and can barely walk. Wizard of Oz reference? Wow. Change. Pay no attention <laughs> to that man stroking the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the cat is Blofeld and the man is just an electronic puppet. Yeah, the whole time. It's like the cat is the evil mastermind of Spectre. Yeah. But... <laughs> just, the guy isn't even a real guy. Number two, sit down and get me a bowl of milk. I mean, to update me <laughs> on what you did. <laughs> My name is Pussy Galore. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, I think we're all on board that this is a fun scene. Uh, I don't know 
what everybody's opinion is of the next scene because we're introduced to Bond in the first one with this iconic scene playing cards. We're introduced to Bond from Russia with love, you know, back with Sylvia Trench on a little mini vacation, Goldfinger, and we get to hear and Bond's at a bed and breakfast spa. <laughs> in, in reality, is their way of disguising that it's basically a rehab clinic. Bond's in a rehab <laughs> right now. <laughs> Where he's seducing all the nurses and uh, complaining about having to eat yogurt and lemon juice, even though From Rush With Love told us he loved yogurt. So, um, <laughs> still, uh, this is one of those scenes that I think goes on a little bit long, but uh, overall, what did you think, Noah? Um, well, yeah, I think this is one positive uh, over the book because the book, this is like 80 pages. Mm hmm. And arguments with his housemaid as to what he can eat and what he can't <laughs> eat. Um, Bond as a housemaid? <laughs> well, in the books, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and like so many cuts and so much, so much actually going on, yet nothing going on at the same time. And um, I don't know if we want to talk about the machine yet. Oh, can we just say the separate a separate section for that? Say, yeah, we'll say <laughs> that. Be I have a lot to say about minutes. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and just ridiculousness. Um, that Count Lippe has his own like door name on there. Like, how long has he been in rehab for? <laughs> when did he get that gold-plated uh, name on his door? Like, and so much randomness. I'm not a fan of this opening. Like, Goldfinger was exciting. This is just like, what the hell? I just think it's funny that we have just Bond getting massaged and then getting checked out by doctors, and he's just so rapey, is James Bond. Like, he just, he, I mean, if he's there for sex addiction, then the, the nurses there are shit because they're not trying to stop him. They eventually just let him... He's there because he is. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's ridiculous sometimes. But, you know, Bond's entitled to a day off every now and then, right? I mean, even on his day off, he gets killed. Well, tries to get killed anyway. So, um, I want to talk about the, the machine. I think we should say that. But I love the fact that when he's snooping through people's rooms, he's about to leave. And then, oh, no, I better get some grapes. Um, and then when he's talking about to Money Penny that he wants to put her put it put her across her his own. knee, like, yeah, you know he's rapey. He's also a bit sadistic. Um, and Money Penny the whole time's like, oh, Mister Bond. Um, but yeah, no, it's I don't think out of all the scenes of this movie, it was the one that went the longest because I kind of was enjoying a lot of it. But um, yeah, I just I the machine bit has got to be one of the most ridiculous <laughs> scenes in the history of James Bond. Well, before we get to the machine, I want to give an opinion. I think that one of the things that really works about this whole spa, bed and breakfast, rehab thing Bond's at is that this is the one time in the movie where Bond is very much in Goldfinger mode. He's having fun. He's just messing with people just to mess with them. Um, there's, a there's a lot of humor here. And yeah, Bond, apparently when he's sober, he's even more horny than when he's loaded. Uh, that's one thing we learned. One other thing I noticed is that the, the introduction to... Uh, one of the, I don't even know if you want to call him a villain, but Angelo, uh, who's, I, I, the guy who's about to become Angelo's identity is going to be uh, taken over. Is this the first and only time that a Bond villain has appeared on screen with a jock strap on his face? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that is part of my problem with this movie is like, there are so many characters you can't keep up. And like a lot of these roles could be put into one role. Like you've got Angelo, and then later you got Vargas, and 
he's taking Duvall's face and there's Fiona and then there he's Mr. This and Mr. That and it's just like, I can't keep track of all these people. It is confusing because I'm watching this bit the whole time going, who's the random guy in the little box that he kills? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even Who? kill him because he escapes later, doesn't he? He just uh, made him sweat a lot, apparently. And what is that thing? What is that like a 1960s sauna? I mean, what the fuck is that? Yeah, it's like a I steamer or something. Love that Bond just, like, gets a broom and MacGyvers it up by turning the switch <laughs> and then locking it. Like, I'm sure there's nurses around to get him out if he just said, help me. <laughs> um, why don't we just jump into it here? Bond gets placed on a torture rack. Uh, <laughs> What is it? What is that thing? One of these scenes that the first time I saw it, even then I knew there was something wrong with this scene. Um, (laughs) The look on Connery's face, we have to get for the site, maybe just a freeze frame or something of the look. Because if we're looking at the greatest expressions in Bond, or the most hilarious expressions, right up there with Jump Up Jamaica guy from Dr. No, (laughs) Sean Connery's ridiculous expression as he's being stretched right here in this torture (laughs) act. I just love the motorized traction table. I, I can picture Q saying it. It's a motorized traction table. I do pay do attention. Pay attention. <laughs> but, like, I, I'm a huge Terrence Young fan. I think he's a great director. But who decided to do first person view uh, from both yes. sides? <laughs> rocking back and forth the camera, looking at the. Just, I, I said it. I, Thunderball is the first moments of cringe in the series, and this was one of the scenes I'm referring to. And this is never on like top ten worst bomb moments or anything like that. No one says this is bad. <laughs> I was literally laughing out loud when I shouldn't have been. Yes. I was watching this at about midnight, and I couldn't <laughs> control myself. I'm like, "What the f- is this? Is this like a cut from an Austin Powers movie that has just made it into a James Bond movie? Like, it's so so bad." And like, you know, d- just honestly, is this a perfect way of killing Bond? Like to turn that up faster, and then when well, the nurse lady comes in, like, "Oh, a few more minutes, and you could have died!" Like, how? How do you die on that this- thing? I have to say, um. I've been to the chiropractor, and last year, I can't even remember what was messed up with me, but the chiropractor put me on one of these things. Now, it was a little oh, so bit different. Exist. So, these are real. So, these are real things. These are real, yeah. It was a little bit different because I was on my back on it, and it wasn't, it wasn't my arms being stretched, where basically what it was is, you know, you have your arms on your chest, and they strap you, and, like, they put all these harnesses on your torso and on your legs, and it very slowly stretches you so it'll pull you like maybe one inch and then it tightens another inch but that's like every 30 seconds so even the speed this started at right now is about 10 times faster than the speed of the one that i was on so i kind of can see how this might hurt or maybe kill him but the line that i found hilarious was the excuse she gives she's like you must have accidentally pushed it it's like <laughs> he's 10 feet away from it his arms are strapped down She's just trying to avoid a malpractice suit. Don't tell Dr. Wayne! I think with this scene, like a lot of these early 60s movies, we can say, oh, it's the times, the effects weren't as good then. I think Mildred was sitting in the cinema saying, what is this shit? (laughs) I don't think this was even good in the 60s. Um, And 
This is the case where I think Moonraker did it better, and nobody ever says Moonraker did it better. Wow, wow. Did you just utter those words? Uh, Moonraker <laughs> does. Hashtag Moonraker does. Yeah, the same scene in Moonraker was done a lot better. I think um, for scenes like this, we should say this was uh, Kevin McClory's con- contribution. Yeah. Any, any time a scene like this comes up, we'll just say Kevin McClory. Blame Kevin McClory. Yeah. <laughs> Blame McClory. Kev- I just really quickly, um, I love when he gets off the thing, you know, he's nearly died, and typical James Bond, the first thing he thinks about is his dick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is there a way we can not tell Dr. Wade? Oh, I I think we can work out the way. You don't mean, oh, yes. (laughs) He bribes her. Oh, that's uncomfortable. He's rapey. He's bribey. There's there's something really funny about this. Yes, Bond, the R changes to rape. Right my, wife, uh, my wife has uh, seen all of these Bond movies before, but she's watching them with me as I'm watching through all these. And when we were watching this, she said, dead serious. She's like, you know what's great about Sean Connery as James Bond? You can see him acting with his eyes, but you can also see him acting with his penis. And she said it so seriously <laughs> at that moment in the movie. <laughs> wow I need to watch James Bond with your wife like <laughs> she's got uh, better lines than Bond does yes. uh, uh. from this point on let's just say the, the nurse that he's bribing here I mean this scene does come across like he's like well if you don't want to be fired then you must do what I say you know <laughs> From this point on, she kind of becomes like a jealous girlfriend. Yes, like, every exactly. Time you see her, she's like bossing Bond around and everything. Like Bond got in over his head with Patricia here. Can we just uh, uh, point up one of the scenes? I think we missed it, or maybe it comes after. Worst Bond one-liner ever is um, Shirota Alagota. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty awkward. Cause if, you know, if it came out of Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan, maybe, hey. but out of Sean Connery, well, I'm not even saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying, like, they would have that little bit of corniness, their sense of humor. Sean Connery should be a little bit mean, and he just has more attitude with his, his lines. That, Was he wearing eyeliner? Well, he's he... wearing lipstick in one, so we're all like... Yeah, wearing eyeliner. <laughs> in seeing this. lipstick, noticing <laughs> eyeliner. You guys have dreams of Bond as a cross transvestite uh, widow. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking inspiration. They shot them back to back and Connery didn't take off all of his makeup. <laughs> what and... was that science fiction one that you said he did, maybe? Like, there was just oh, all these... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I think it also... We have to also bring up... Mook. It reduces the tension. I got so excited when that happened at first. I'm thinking, like, her name's... Is this Dick Sister? Mink? Dick and Mink. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, the gloves, Mink. Oh, damn it. I rub you with my gloves. Imagine if that was Dink and rubbing Dink with Mink. (laughs) And it leads to tension with Bond. Dink and Mink. Dink and Mink. Dink and Mink Masterson. (laughs) Having Um, a drink. Yeah, I mean, after we have the, this whole sequence, let's move on before we get into trouble. Um, <laughs> we have, which is really the first big plot point of the movie, plus the introduction of, I don't know how Noah can say this movie doesn't have good Bond girls, because we have the first ever Bond girl 
villain. Let's come up with a better title than that. Fiona Volpe is introduced here in bed with Durval, the real Durval. And then we have the fake Durval appearing at the door. And you have a man staring at what he probably thinks is his own clone and then getting shot in the face by his own clone. Um, is that suicide? I love this scene. Yeah, I love this scene. I love the Fiona Volpe character. There's going to be a lot more with her later on. But uh, this was really where the plot starts, I think. Yeah, um, we'll touch on Fiona a bit more. But, uh, well, I don't. The, the reason I said that I don't count her as a Bond girl in a sense just because I consider her more like Rosa Clegg, really. She's a villain. I think there's a couple of differences between. Yeah, <laughs> she's, a, she's yeah. a lesbian? Rosa Clegg. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I normally consider the, the henchwomen to not be Bond girls in a traditional sense, but she is because he gets with her and no different to Pussy Galore, really. But when I said that, I was talking more Domino, which we will get to. But. Fiona's great, and we'll touch on her. But I, w- I have to admit, I was a bit confused during this scene, even after uh, watching this film a fair few times. Like, there's fake Duvall, there's real Duvall. Uh, there's fake Duvall dead, real Duvall. Bond's going after fake Duvall. Like, it was a bit confusing, but it's a great fight sequence at night with uh, Bond when he smashes through the window, chokes the guy with the cord. I love that bit. I love the fact, too, that when they're talking about his surgery and then he had to have voice lessons. Like, how, how, how do you have voice lessons? Coached by Nicky Vanderson. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, maybe that's who they get. Like, Nicky Vanderson gave me voice lessons. <laughs> um, and I didn't realise plastic surgery was so good in the 1960s. Like, I don't think they can do that well, in the it's, 2010. It's, 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 it's a mask, isn't it? Just like the bomb mask. <laughs> but why do they need to have surgery exactly that? They can recreate a perfect yeah, they've, mask. They've got the best mask system in the world. They've, and just, they're doing surgery. they've just wasted all that money on plastic surgery like what happens after if he compl- successfully completed this mission and didn't get killed That's by Largo underwater dollars is because of the the money that went to this plan it's well, just, I think I'm it's fair, fair enough to ask for more money like of course <laughs> I'm going to do the most unfortunate thing in the world I'm going to bring up uh, something uh, I probably shouldn't be bringing up why uh, why did <laughs> Gustav Graves put himself through months of yes! gene replacement <laughs> therapy when all he needed to do was borrow a Spectre mask and go to Nick Vanderbilt's school of <laughs> linguistics. Um, I can answer that, Colin. 50 years of Kevin McClory uh, lawsuits, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> See, if Die Another Day hadn't been filmed in 2015, then that's all he would have used was a mask. <laughs> Blame Kevin McClory. (laughs) I love the fact that I think I've brought up Die Another Day once in this episode, and it's Colin who's been bringing it up. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ben, what did you think of this sequence and the whole Durval, Durval thing? I think it's it's a great setup, and I think it's... I like the fact that we've got sort of our first female bong... I mean, it's it's tough whether you consider her an evil bong girl, because... Do we automatically consider a Bond girl to be someone that James Bond like has sex with more than you know <laughs> humanely possible that sends him to rehab? Um, but yeah, it's I, I like the whole setup because it really makes it gives a good twist point, especially when he opens the door and you're like, <gasps> wait, hang on a minute, has he got a twin? And then you're like, oh wait, no, he just killed himself. Which again, I'm asking, is that suicide? Like, if your clone kills you, is that suicide or murder? I don't get the legalities behind that so anyway it's murder because well, he wasn't his clone but uh. <laughs> we'll talk more about as noah said there's gonna be lots of fiona throughout this but the 
the thing with Fiona is that I think what distinguishes her from Rosa Klebb is that, yeah, she is probably more of a henchwoman, whereas Rosa Klebb is more in charge. And the difference between her and Pussy is that <laughs> Pussy really was kind of turned by Bond at the end. And the Fiona Volpe character, like, you have to remind me, Noah, because you read the book recently. It's been about five years since I read Thunderball, but she's the one character that's not in the book, right? Uh, yeah, Fiona's not there. I'm yeah, pretty and, certain, and if she is, it's a very minor part, but I'm pretty certain she's not there, yeah. The way that Fiona's character is written in later on, which we'll get to the scene, um, I think Fiona was kind of a response to some of the criticisms of the previous Bond girls, which is one of the reasons why I think this movie needs more credit for how they handled the Bond girls. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about she's that. kind of... Would you consider the, her the first femme fatale, or would you give that to Pusher? <laughs> Pusher. Well, I think it would definitely be Fiona, because... What did we really see Pussy do that was wrong? We saw her hold a gun to Bond and then sleep with him in the hay and then <laughs> save the world. She saved the world in the end, so I would have a hard yeah. time because they're femme fatale. So I think Fiona's the first Bond femme fatale. I like, um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here or if we're moving on a bit, but um, I like it when Bond's kind of getting up to investigate when he's looking out the window and sees the body and that. Is that the quickest... Change of clothes ever because he's like in his underwear. They cut away quickly, and then he's already like fully dressed and leaving the door. Like I'm off to get some exercise. Like <laughs> Bond is really quick. That like remember him standing on the hill going from a tuxedo to the <laughs> the black tights and Goldfinger. Yeah, that's yeah. what I said. He just wears clothes under all his clothes. So he must get whenever fucking he needs hot to change, the time. just changes, takes yes. off his clothes, and he's got whatever he falls off in those touches. <laughs> no wonder he's so angry well, and like horny. the ball is then when you're wearing lots of clothes and you start to sweat. <laughs> this is why Bond didn't want to go to Station C in Canada. He's had enough of this. Like, I want some shorts. Oh, <laughs> I love that bit. We'll get to that. Um... We're going to very quickly breeze by this because we've been talking a lot about these long sequences. And uh, I'm going to say again, a lot of this stuff I like. I like the basic idea of Derval or fake Derval here, uh, Angelo, taking over and hijacking the plane. But I timed it this time. And I think most of the time when I watch Thunderball, because I've seen it so many times, I'm sort of watching into the background at certain parts. And it never really occurred to me how long this goes. But <sighs> we're basically at four minutes of a plane flight without anything happening. And then we're at about five and a half to six minutes of them removing the bomb from the underside of this plane. Again, with no dialogue, nothing happening. These are two scenes that easily could have been done in about two and a half minutes here. Yeah. Um, as we said earlier, I think the underwater scenes do look really good. So that's a plus for this, but yeah, like you said, a 10 minute scene and there is almost nothing to talk about. It's just, them slowly swimming and doing it and you know what they're doing but you don't 100 percent know because we don't know the plan yet i feel like maybe you could get rid of this entire scene and the film still wouldn't be because we learn everything that happens later on in this scene mm -hmm. so you could mm -hmm. drop the entire scene maybe cut it at the plane into the water like you probably need that bit but cut after that, and I don't think it affects the film. <laughs> and other than that, it's, there's not anything to really talk about. I think it's unnecessary and really long. We don't need random pilot guy eating a sandwich. Like we, we, we don't we don't give a shit about that. And I was confused. Like the whole time when they're putting that big net over the plane, I'm thinking, what the fuck are they doing? And it, like it makes sense later. Obviously, they're camouflaging. Maybe it's just me being dumb. But um. Yeah, and the whole... I mean, how long did we have of him struggling with his seatbelt only to get 
like his mask removed and they just still struggle with his seat, but we get it, mate. You're going to die. Um, like, you know, we just leave it there. Evil. He, we get it. He's dead. Um, and I just wanted to quickly point out when the whole se- when the plane's going missing and then they cut to the, the, the most British people in the world talking about where the plane is going. Like, oh, I don't know where the plane has gone. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> why do they have to call Washington? Like, is this part of the reason why everyone's so up America's butts? And I love America. I'm not trying to take that away from America. But the first thing, oh, we need to call Washington. Like, deal with it yourself. It's a British plane. Well, but they did say, I mean, this was a NATO plane. So it was kind of like, uh, what is it, like a, a grouping, an alliance between But is it Canada nations. part of NATO? Why is it? Let's call Ottawa. Well, well they were going to go to Canada. If we had got to see Station C in Canada, we would know that. <laughs> yeah, this scene. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have Bond. There was a really quick moment where the alarm goes off and Bond starts trying to hit on another lady only to have his girlfriend now very possessive girlfriend the nurse Pat come out and what's the line about the front door oh it must be the front door (laughs) ringing the doorbell (laughs) no everyone's running out (laughs) there's like smoke and flames coming out and Bond's trying to make jokes and pick up girls Uh, after that we have the, the Bond leaving the rehab clinic, so apparently he's rehabilitated. Uh, might explain the lack of uh, vodka martini count we're going to get to later, but uh, we get our first assassination attempt here, and this is where the plot, I think Terrence Young did a lot better job with a complicated plot of everybody sort of playing everybody and from Rush with Love. Because what we have is we have Count Lippy chasing Bond, <laughs> trying to kill him, and we have Fiona Volpe on a motorcycle, uh, who is not the angry now ex-girlfriend nurse <laughs> chasing Count Lippy. <laughs> I and... thought it was. Shut up. <laughs> I just this scene is great. I really like this motorbike with rockets. That's awesome. Um, but so Lippy failed. So Blofeld wants Lippy dead. Lippy was going after Bond. Spectre doesn't want Bond around. Fiona works for Largo, who worked for Spectre. Why didn't she let Lippy get Bond and then kill Lippy? <laughs> she ruined everything. Exactly. Like, she destroyed the entire plan uh, of getting Bond killed, and then she didn't even try and get Bond. She just drove off and ditched her motorbike. <laughs> I, I agree <laughs> with that. It's an awesome scene, but it's like, why? Because don't we get the line later on when Domino's asking, like, why are you going after Bond? Oh, he's an enemy of Spectre, so blah, blah, blah. Well, he's a fucking enemy of Spectre. You would have let her kill him then. (laughs) Well, in Fiona's defense, I mean, she's just so (laughs) anxious to kill anybody that she didn't bother to see who who Lippy was chasing. (laughs) Oh, just random having a car chase. Better kill one of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, for all she well, knew, I mean, she she maybe thought she was aiming for Bond. <laughs> well, it probably was, knowing how good uh, Bond villains are at shooting people. I love the spectre that everything is black. Like, all the henchmen will wore full black and the Lippy's car full black. But we should point out here, um, we talked about people being killed. Bob Simmons almost lost his life with this scene because, as we said yes. in Bond films, they use real stunts. Like, they don't do any of this fake stuff. And when Until die another ca- day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when that black car like went off the road and caught fire, they actually did that, and Bob almost didn't escape because he got trapped in the car or when it rolled. So <laughs> Bob nearly lost his life. But... I'm not laughing at the fact nearly died. I'm just picturing a quarrel scream. Ah! 
Well, I was hoping um, our recurring joke that it was the three blind mice in the car. They're back. And then, oh, no, they're off the road explosion. <laughs> Quarrel's still burning. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag uh, rest in peace, Quarrel. So Bob's really done the rounds in this film. He's dressed up as a woman. Uh, he's nearly died in the car explosion. Lost. Lost his place in the gun barrel. Rough film for Bob. Yeah, what do you want to bet that Bob Simmons is like, please just put me back in a gun barrel. If this is my punishment for bad gun He'll he'll be back in the Spectre gun barrel. (laughs) Little old man in a wheelchair. (laughs) And get shot. And make it at the start of the movie, Spectre, not at the end. Yeah, but it's a great scene, even though it's a bit weird that she's doing that i love the motorbike it's also i wish that was in more of the film uh after that bond shows up at uh, mi6 he very briefly sees money penny only be told you got out of the conference room and this is a scene that we alluded to in an earlier episode where we see every single double o agent the dream of every james bond fan and we get to see the back of their heads. How great was that? <laughs> and they're from Europe too. It's not—they're not just British ones, are they? Because don't they say every double O agent from across Europe is here? Well, oh, as you as you teased me about the other episode, uh, England is in Europe, Ben. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. Appreciate that. Stationed in different parts of Europe, I think, was the point. Ah, right. And what was There's his line about the dog? Like somebody must have lost a dog. Well, uh, yeah, the, the secretary or whatever. Like, the secretary is even there. Like, his wife must have lost her dog. Like, <laughs> Bond has some real resentment there. there. There's a great missing mission that we didn't get to hear about there. Bond and the dog. And we, we get... Um, and I'm sort of jumping ahead a bit here, so please feel free to go back to this bit. But uh, there, there are two moments in this movie where M is really quick to defend James Bond. Yeah. And, like, we get the bit where they're in the office and he's like, oh, you know, he was... I saw him, he was dead. Well, he's possibly dead. If James Bond said he was dead, then he was dead. Like, M is really, like, quick to the, oh, I love you, Bond. But I, I like yeah. that because in the first film, it's kind of the introduction. The second one, we learn about M and Bond in Tokyo. <laughs> Third film, he's a bit of a hard ass. So I like that each film are getting a new angle to M and that he does respect Bond, even though he's mean to him sometimes. So I do like that. He's like rehab. But I love the juxtaposition between the Spectre meeting and the double O meeting. Like, they both have these big halls with chairs and, like, I like... I think that was done on purpose, but I think that was kind of cool. And then we get the classic James Bond is a child moment where he walks into the room and it's the most awkward thing ever. Like, great credit to Terrence Young that as Bond's walking across the biggest room in history and his feet are so noisy on the floor. Yeah, that's (laughs) Well, now that we're all here and Bond just sort of looks like, yeah, sorry about that. That's really his biggest flaw, time management. Like, he does everything correct, but when it comes to time management, he's just failed, like, he must have a Russian clock or something. (laughs) Or, Or his watch is really a Geiger counter. That's why he's always late. Not even a watch. I like the fact that um, when they're talking about the bombs and and the the demand and you know all this sort of stuff, that gee, they're they're really hard working these um <laughs> these secret agents. Oh, unless the bombs are recovered, we'll just have to pay. <laughs> like, they're not really considering. Like they have days to go. They're like, well, better get ready to pay them. 
it's like it's almost like they're just not expecting to find. Oh well, bloody hell, we'll have to pay it. Like Should we the pass British in around the office and get uh, some change. I have seen so many American movies where the whole point of it is we do not negotiate with terrorists. Like fuck yeah, America. Whereas the British, oh fuck, we can't. We can't find him. We better pay then. It's all the secretary's fault because M says, I'm going to bring in my best men for this. I'm bringing the double O's. He's like, those no good losers. They couldn't find my wife's dog on their best days. There's no way they're going to find these bombs. My name is Puppy Galore. <laughs> Rough? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole plot is laid out here. Uh, we get this massive map on the wall, which, again, Ken Adam, it's very restrained in this compared to what we saw in the, the sets of Goldfinger and obviously what we're going to see in You Only Live Twice. But for anybody who doesn't know, Ken Adam is the, the production designer. He, he builds all these sets. Amazing and Thunderball's very, yeah, very realistic. And the one thing I love about Thunderball is that everything looks very real world. But it still looks like larger than life. The Spectre yeah. boardroom and the Double O meeting room are great examples of that. I have to say quickly to jump in front of you there, Noah, the one thing this scene was busy with somebody going, What's that map doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> what is this, America round? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do business with Birmingham. Riding on a random horse. <laughs> but um I'm not sure if this is jumping ahead, but after, and then you have the bond and the, um, if 007 says that, then it's true. Um, but the one bit that I was, I'm still waiting to this point to get resolution to is he comes into the office, Money Penny's office, puts the hat on the, on the, what do you call it, coat hanger, comes back after he gets the mission, says, oh, my hat's gone. <laughs> And I'm thinking throughout the film, oh, when's the, when's the callback to the hat going to happen? Um, who's got his hat? And it's like, never mentioned ever again. So who took his hat? That's the most random thing in any film, of any Bond film at all. Like, what happened to Bond's hat? That needs to be the next mission. Kevin McClory stole it. <laughs> we get to Bond being rescued, you know, at the end by Felix and everybody. He's in the helicopter. He's like, tell them the bombs are on their way to Miami. Hold on, hold on. Lost and found it in my six called. They found your hat. <laughs> <laughs> but am I the only one who picked up on that? Like, that was so random. I did pick up on that, yeah. Mm. I was like, where did the hat go? Like, the biggest Bond mystery ever. <laughs> who wrote that? Like, was there a deleted scene? Because it's, it's the most pointless thing. There's nothing to it. Like, why is that scene there? Because Kevin McClory's a bastard. <laughs> that was his one contribution. You must put this stolen hat scene in <laughs> Yes, we must make people discuss well, this scene it's, for it's 40 years. Like, it's like Han and Greedo, who shot first? Where is James like, Bond's hat? Um, if you look at the trivia for Thunderbolt, this is the last time Bond wears a hat in any film other than the <laughs> opening of On a Majesty's Secret Service gun barrel. So I love that after his hat was stolen, he just refuses to wear hats from now on. <laughs> was there like a scene right at the end of Thunderball when all the double O's are called into the big boardroom again and they have they bring up the giant map. It's like, Bond's hat was last seen here in M's office. <laughs> 003, I know you've got it. <laughs> Maybe it was uh, the the secretary or whoever it was because of his dog or it's something. It's related to the dog. It's like yeah. all into the dog mission. He's just yeah. being childish because Bond lost his dog, so he stole his hat. <laughs> <laughs> Noah, you mentioned the scene with M, which uh, this is 
really the only scene with M we get. And it is interesting. Like, I hadn't really thought about it. You brought it up that M's defending Bond the whole time. But uh, I have to mention here, there are only two mentions of Canada, my home country, in the entire Bond series. <laughs> I love and this. is the first one. Station, Bond is assigned to Station C in Canada. And he's like, I, I respectfully request that I be reassigned to Nassau. <laughs> and I was like, is this for your love of water sports, Bond? Like, any other reason why? <laughs> was Bond oh. sitting there looking at this file, and he's like, Station C in Canada. I'm off to the Maritimes, which, as no one knows, is a very famous picture. <laughs> The Maritimes in the winter or bikini clad sister. I don't know. Let's go with Nassau. I like the fact, too, that we also, and again, jumping way ahead here, but we get a, a reference to Australia later on. Did anyone pick that up at all? No? Ooh, there was the, the scene is this where. This one the, of the many politicians that nobody else listened to the picture <laughs> of. No, this has got nothing to do with Bronwyn Bishop. No, there was, a, there was, well, there was a helicopter in the scene, but anyway. No, there was um, a scene later on, I think, where they're all still searching for the plane and they're in that military room and there's that little flashing screen that is like going, oh, you know, Tokyo, no, no sign of the plane. And it keeps showing different locations. And one of them says, Sydney, Australia, no sighting or something like that. So. Sydney, Australia. Ah, it's all good, mate. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> There's a guy there going, ah, she'll be right, mate. Like, that was a place back in 65, Sydney, Australia? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's amazing. <laughs> but I was Where was Snug in all of this? <laughs> yeah, snug. The bombs are in Snug. Uh, <laughs> I was watching this song. Oh, Station C. Colin's going to be happy. There's going to be uh, yeah. Colin Bay there. Bond's going to go. Trucking to <laughs> Canada. Station C. Bond. Bond dumps all over the idea of coming here. Like, what's wrong with this man? Oh, I just imagine. Oh, well, Canada doesn't. Oh, have a, it doesn't have a very good luck in the Bond films because what we have from Russia with Love, Canada, we're getting beaten by Czechoslovakia. Um, <laughs> Goldeneye, the pilot, who Zenya Onotop kills, is Canadian. We need not forget that. Um, I mean, does Ian Fleming hate Canada? Canada is well, the Bob Simmons. <laughs> Ian Fleming did write a story where Bond was in Canada, but. Let's also not forget that, uh, obviously, Vesper's boyfriend infiltrated the entire Canadian government by the end of Quantum of Solace, too. <laughs> it's not that hard to do, though, Colin. I mean, both people are pretty uh, pretty easy to talk around. Oh, can we please so take over looking- Canada? Oh, because you said, please, eh, we'll just take over. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh- Anything else anybody wants to add on the whole Bond M scene here? No, let's get to the Bahamas. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited about this because uh, I always love Thunderball. And for a long time, I wondered why. Because like I said, I've been voicing complaints throughout this. And I do understand a lot of the issues with the movie. But a couple of years ago, I was up late working and I just decided to put Thunderball on in the background. And the whole time I'm wondering, like, what is it I like about this movie so much? And then it occurred to me, it's like, I love the location. Like, the location in the Bahamas is so fantastic. In this. And obviously, it appears again at Casino Royale and Never Say Never Again. Then it's Never Say Never Again, uh, several other movies. I was in the middle of planning my wedding at this point, And by the time Thunderball was over, I had already picked a hotel and planned out my entire honeymoon. <laughs> I booked my honeymoon around wanting to see the locations in Thunderball. I love the Bahamas' location. Uh, Bahamas totally tops Jamaica in this one, I think. Uh, why didn't you just go to Station C? It would have been a lot cheaper. Um, <laughs> Bond didn't go there. So. Um, you're it's right, though. But it's not good enough for me. 
Yeah, you're right, though. It is one of the highlights of the film. It's a really strong location, and it's like um, Fleming often wrote of these tropical islands and all that, because obviously he lived a lot of the time in Jamaica, so um, good for the production crew that they got to go here rather than, like, Istanbul or, like, nothing wrong with Istanbul. Actually, scrap that, Istanbul. Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. Um, (laughs) But it's really... uh, The scenes where Felix is with the helicopter and they're flying over, they just look so awesome. Um, and you're right, even though Dr. No has a great location, I do think the Bahamas tops Jamaica in this case and a lot of good in this film with the, the sharks and all that business. Well, it's interesting, Colin, you said you've been there, obviously, for your honeymoon, because, I mean, I guess to to people in America and Canada, like, going to the Caribbean is probably, like, for Noah and I, going to, like, Bali or, you know, places like that, because you, you have your sort of... What was that? New Zealand. <laughs> no, no, no one goes there. I mean, come on. <laughs> Shh, we don't want to give them hope that Australians will visit there one day. But um, it's it's such an exotic location anywhere in the Caribbean, and um, it's... It, I, I love the scenery in any of these films where we have it, and the underwater is perfectly in that area. And it's just... It it really makes me want to visit there, so I can imagine you sitting up there and watching it at night. Hey, I know, Jay, let's go to the Bahamas! Like, I mean, I did that with Diane the other day, and I said to Louise, let's go to North Korea! But it didn't exactly <laughs> uh, play too well, I think. You know, the underwater is really where this movie shines, and... The funny thing is, like, I went there, and it is the clearest water you have ever seen, no matter where. You go to the dumpy beach, and it's, like, the clearest water you've ever seen. Yeah, I have a thing for clear water. Yeah, well, they they didn't just come back here for other movies, like Casino Royale, where the Bahamas was one of the locations. But if you look at the entire James Bond series, almost any time they had to film something underwater, even if the movie wasn't taking place, they came back to the Bahamas, just because the water was so clear there. That any movie, Spy Who Loved Me, the, the the car and everything, I mean, they came back to Bahamas just because they knew we can rely on the beaches and we can rely on the water here to film. I personally am a fan of uh, murky dark water, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love, anyway. <laughs> just thought I'd add that. that. water to make it murky and dark. <laughs> um, well, I watched the Spectre trailer. Watched uh, the Spectre trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the first scene here, again, I think this is where the movie starts picking up a little bit. Not just because, in my opinion, we get introduced to one of the best Bond girls of all time, oh, Domino. Domino. <laughs> we get underwater. We get Domino's foot being caught. We get Bond trying to pick her up, which, come on, the line, we have to talk about this pickup line, where it's like, you swim like a man. And she's like, well, so do you. It's like, well, I've had a lot of practice. Like, great, great line there by Connery. Sexist Bond is back. <laughs> I just wanted there to be uh, a line with Felix. Uh, now leave here, Mink. Uh, me and Felix have to do man swim. Man swim. I just love the, how fast uh, Bond manages to find Domino. It's like, oh, first dip in the water. There she is. Um, <laughs> like, how long has he been? Thigh. You can spot it. From, like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the moles. <laughs> I love how he makes a big deal out of that with money. But it's all right. I know. She's got moles. Like, it's, <laughs> why do they highlight that so much? Um, but I think we're talking a lot about Domino. Screw Domino. Domino. Paula. 
Paula. I love Paula. Third franchise appearance of Paula Kaplan, or not Paula <laughs> Kaplan, of Martine Beswick. And now she gets to speak. Terrence Young was very happy with her at this point. <laughs> but, so, what is the origin of Paula? Is she an MI6 agent, or is she a local at the Bahamas? Like, we'd never really get into Paula, but I, I loved yeah. her, though. Well, Bond doesn't get into Paula either. <laughs> yeah, which is actually quite odd. Odd job? Well, especially, you can see how, yeah, later on, well, I'll bring that up later on in the movie, um, but, uh, yeah, I think Paula's supposed to be a local. I mean, she's obviously a lot more tanned than uh, the other women in this movie, so I'm assuming that she kind of is the agent there in the Nassau station. You Maybe her and Pinder kind of run the show there. Pinder, we'll get to Pinder. Station N or Station B is it referred to? Station mole on the left thigh. Um, <laughs> the the great thing here with Paula is that, uh, I mean, obviously, we don't get a lot out of her in this movie, but she's kind of a playful character. Like, I, I also love the scenes between Bond and Domino because of the same way where it's almost like constantly flirty and joking. You know, they're faking that the boat's broken down, and it's the worst acting. Like, it's intentionally the worst acting you've ever seen. Like, I can't believe our boat is broken down. Bond's like, can you give me a ride? Do you mind staying here and drowning, yeah. Paula, when this thing falls out of it? gets ditched. <laughs> She's happy for it, though. She just doesn't care. <laughs> I like how Bond turns into a bit of a stalker throughout this whole situation. Like, he's following with Domino, then like, oh, let's have lunch. Oh, I thought you had an important meeting. Oh, no, no, that's okay. And then it's all of a sudden like, you know, oh, may I come with you? No. Will I see you again? No. Let's have dinner. No. (laughs) Give it up, James. Just no means no. Yeah, and my, my favorite part of this is, like you were saying, He's saying, I have a very important business meeting in Coral Harbor, which, again, having been there, I, I the, the point where Bond and Domino step on shore here, I accidentally stumbled across this location, and it was under construction at the time, like they were redoing the whole beach, but uh, I was able to find this location, and this is the furthest point from Coral Harbor, like he really expected Domino to go out of her way, but the second they're on shore, he's like, why don't we have lunch over there? And they're sitting there eating lunch, watching Paula getting bored in the boat, like, trying to paddle her way by hand to shore. <laughs> Domino doesn't mind this. Like, did you just leave your other girlfriend? Like, we can still see her. You don't mind this bond? I really There's a wish... lot of that in that movie, in this movie. I wish, I wish they called it Quarrel Harbor. Um, as oh. a <laughs> but I love um, in that scene, you're talking quarrel. about there's Felix in the background. Everyone on this beach is in, like, Speedos and board shorts and, and then Felix full suit on the beach. And because it's a different actor, technically we don't actually know it's Felix, so I'm not sure if they thought we knew it was or not. And this is full suit Felix. Like, that's not suspicious at all. You're supposed to be an undercover agent, aren't you? That's why That's why in every single movie it's a different actor because it's just to trick the audience. Yeah, they've got the Spectre masks. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, isn't it like Doctor Who, the same person, but they just change his, like, appearance in every single yeah, one? Felix how... regenerates every time. Well, <laughs> we're saying Doctor Who. <laughs> I was saying, 
I was saying with Goldfinger that, you know, uh, the, the long nights at Pussfellow's Bar had taken its toll because he aged so much, but he's kind of gone backwards in this one. Like, he looks about 15 years younger, so I think the son in the Bahamas is doing good for Felix, even if he is covered in a suit the whole but time. This, he this, went to that I, rehab clinic and got surgery. Yeah. <laughs> Felix about... got off crystal meth, and this is what happened. <laughs> the weird thing about the Felixes is, like, yeah, he looks a lot younger than Cesspool Linda, but... <laughs> He still looks a lot older than Bond. He's one year older in real life. Um, there's something about the Felixes where they just look incredibly old all the time. It's a tough job, the CIA. Like, <laughs> well, you know, they, they... <laughs> you you kind of hit on something in the last episode, Ben, where you were saying, you know, that Jack Lord was too handsome and too cool, and that it was taking too much attention off of Sean Connery, and that probably has a lot to do with because. Felix in the book is a much cooler character. Like, he's different in yeah. the books. He's very much like a cowboy, a Texan. But he's a cool character. And aside from giving you know, Rick Van Nutter here the glasses, I mean, we don't really have an attempt to make Felix cool. And, and I always feel like they're downplaying Felix in this. Like, let's make him kind of like the dud version of James Bond. Yeah, I think um, in the book, this is one of Felix's most present uh book appearances obviously he's got like one leg and one arm or whatever but <laughs> he appears a lot in thunderball and yeah he there's just something about this guy rick van nutter that um he's just no screen presence at all and just so flat and wooden he's a lot better than linda was that his name linda seth mm -hmm. linda uh, but yeah. obviously he's no jack lord but the, so he sits in the middle of the Felix Leiter rankings. Um, but we need to have that on the website. But he's just so <laughs> flat and so like random, and no funny lines, no nothing. And he's just—you almost forget he's there, even when he's on screen. So we've, we've only had just scrolling here. So we've only had two actors who have played Felix more than once in films. Ever. And that was David Hedison, who in Live and Let Die and Licensed to Kill, and yeah, then Jeffrey obviously Wright. Jeffrey Wright. So that's, yeah. it's it's interesting that, that Paul, the, the, is, is this like a, a documentary waiting to be made, The Curse of Felix Leiter, while actors <laughs> like just cannot hold down a career afterwards? I mean, is John Terry the only one who has gone on to like do oh. anything after playing Felix well, Leiter? Jack Lord was in Hawaii 5 for like 15 years. Yeah. Well, okay, and Jack Lord, fine. But, but <laughs> as, I, as I said in Goldfinger, though, how much better would this film be with Jack Lord? Imagine if he was Felix for all of Connery's films. But he's too sexy, Noah. He's That's too... right. I just want to point out because um, I I don't know how much we're going on over this scene. We get a, we do get a very famous line though, of course, um, when Domino, voiced by Nicky Vanderzeel, of course, <laughs> we we should point that out. Um, says, "Oh, what sharp eyes you have! Wait till you get to my teeth." <laughs> I love that line. What sharp little eyes you have! Wait till you get to my teeth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we also have Bond with his conch chowder, which ah uh, conch chowder. What the fuck is conch chowder? chowder. <laughs> what is it? He can go like on a, and on. It's like I don't know if you, you consider it almost like a, like it's like a seafood or whatever. Like it's all over the Bahamas. It's like the number one thing when you walk up and down the streets there. Like their main street, almost every restaurant has its own dock into the harbor. And all you see is these boatloads full of conch shells. So this is obviously huge there. But I don't know about the whole aphrodisiac thing. I mean, I had like a conch fritter when I was there, and it was a little bit heavy. I wasn't really feeling amorous <laughs> after eating conch. So, so you and Jamie weren't celebrating the honeymoon that night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm from I'm my childhood. 
people made after Kong, John. <laughs> that, that comment, I have to ask the question, did you and Jamie recreate any James Bond scenes on the honeymoon? Uh, no. If we had found... Vargas uh, was <laughs> there is a beach. The beach that Bond and Domino are on is legitimately called Love Beach. We were never able to find that one. Most no. locations I went to was like, James Bond stood here and... We saw him in front of this building. <laughs> was there tours? Could you like go on a tour of places? The only real tour they had, like that, would have been related to James Bond, is the the place where James Bond is right when the helicopter picks him up in the end. I think that's actually called the Thunderball Grotto, and you can go there and swim with the sharks. But of course, it costs you a couple hundred dollars to do it for four hours. So I decided let's just skip that and go to the zoo. <laughs> Bloody greedy people from the Bahamas. <laughs> Um, the conch chowder, I, I don't know. I, again, I just like this scene because Domino's a very playful character, and I think that it's very different than the type of rapport that Sean Connery had with uh, uh, Honor Blackman. But there's there's a real good chemistry between these two, despite the fact you're really hearing Nicky Vanderzil's voice. <laughs> and I think of all the... You remind me of honey! <laughs> <laughs> But of all the actresses, quote-unquote, beauty queens who appeared in Bond but didn't speak in Bond, uh, I really thought that Claudine Auger was probably the one that gave the most likable performance and the, the one that brought the most character to it. And she's hot. She is hot. Oh, yes. Best so far Terrible. in terms of that department. Damn um, straight. But Way better than um, Rosa Clare. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> last week, or uh, last so we talked about how the chemistry would never be matched between Pusher and Bond <laughs> and Connery, Connery and Honor, I guess. But I really do feel like, as you said, they have great chemistry here, Domino and Bond, and it's believable. Um, I would argue it's better than Bond and Tanya. Um, but there's something about Domino. Of these first four women, other than being hot, I don't think... I think she's by far the worst Bond girl, main Bond girl so far. And when we do a full ranking, she won't be anywhere near the bottom. Like, I'm just talking first four films. And I think she is a great actress, but I like that the character has backstory, something that Pussy Galore didn't really have. And she has a, she has a huge part to do with the plot, Domino. But mm. there's just something a bit flat about it. And there's something a little off and I'm not entirely sure what it is but I think of the first four she is at the bottom for me I'd, I'd argue she's better than Pussy Galore based on yeah. her her backstory and Character. characterization. whereas I mean we, you know Pussy Galore as we said in the last um, episode like she's iconic based purely on her name and that scene if you took that away from her and Pussy Galore's boring as batshit I think so um, I would argue that Domino's better than Pussy Galore and much like Honey Rider, Domino's character in the book is so much more complex yeah. than in the movie here. But they did a good job, like with Honey, of bringing certain elements, whatever they could get away with. And they didn't really have ratings back then, but the equivalent of a PG movie, whatever they could get away with. So I we think they did a pretty out, good job. It's a good time to point out that this is the closest to the book out of any of the films, mm -hmm. I would argue. Like, it's very close. Yeah, this hand from Russia with love, definitely. Those two yeah. are very close. But of the films, they're kind of like paraphrases of the books. Like, they have to drop a lot of the content into this compact film. But I, I agree with you. They did a good job of... There's a lot more to Domino, but I do think they did a good job of cutting out stuff but still getting that natural core of the character. So I, I don't hate Domino, but I think of these first four, she's the weakest. Um, 
after this, we get the casino scene where Bond meets Largo for the first time. And really, I don't think that this isn't one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And I always love the moments where Bond meets the villain. But I've already said, and I'll go into it more in detail over the next little while. But I don't think that Largo's that interesting of a villain. So this doesn't stand out. Really, I think the one thing that holds this scene together is all of Connery's bad puns on the word Spectre. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Yeah. He's saying like, Spectre this is... in a sentence. Your Spectre, against mine. <laughs> this is, again, like Bond having a little bit of fun. And obviously, from the very first introduction, it's clear that, I was going to call him Blofeld, Largo <laughs> knows that Blood. who Bond is. It's like, oh, one of my associates spoke of you. And Bond, obviously, is alluding to Spectre. And they're just messing with each other the whole movie. It's very similar to what we had in Goldfinger, I felt. I think this is... Uh, yeah, we talked about the golf scene, and I think the golf scene is painful, as we kind of said. It was very revolutionary, but I think this is one case that Never Say Never Again probably does better, but we'll have to talk about that when we get to it. I haven't watched that film in a while. Um, I think they play video games or something. Yeah, that. I don't know if it was better. <laughs> Well, it was longer. Asteroids or Frogger. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the Spectre quotes. Like, I thought I saw a Spectre on your shoulder. Like, the Spectre of the Spectre feast. against my. Yeah, it's just like it's like Mad Libs or something, and he's just put Spectre into sentences. Um, <laughs> but I think it is a pretty cool scene. Um, old Mildred next to Lago. Oh, no, like, you stole my thunder! <laughs> I was going to say the star of the movie is Blind Granny <laughs> next to cool Granny with the glasses. Um, <laughs> She's hot. Goldfinger. <laughs> yeah, it's a harder Bond girl than Domino. <laughs> but yeah, it's probably the same one from the Granny with the machine gun. I'm thinking it's her uh, mum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that made me laugh. That was so random. But I think it's a pretty fun scene. And the dinner with Domino is great. And it's quite similar to the book, that conversation that goes on there. I love how Largo is so quick to share Domino. Like, <laughs> buy me a drink. No, I need to play this game. Oh, I'd love to buy the lady a drink. Oh, that would okay. be... <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Go and have dinner. And then, like, you know, just inviting him to get into... I mean, look, I... Maybe I... he thought um, he was talking about the granny. He wanted to buy her dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah, take her. Go for your life. Look, I, I, I have to admit that I, I find James Bond slightly more attractive than Emilio Largo. So, um, surely Largo would know that um, <laughs> there might be a bit of competition there from this suave British guy who clearly they've got to know is James Bond because aren't they all still pissed at Dr. No died? I mean, poor number four. <laughs> like, they never got revenge. They never got the R part of Spectre ready for it and they're still mourning. I mean, they've retired number four. Um, you know, poor Dr. No. <laughs> you know, I, I really have the same question though about Domino because what we get in this movie, and again, a lot more in the book, but what we get in this movie, we know that Largo is very possessive of Domino. <laughs> so why, when Bond comes in there, is like, do you mind if I take your woman dancing and take her for a drink? Sure, I want all my money back. First of all, why is Largo worried about money? He just extorted $30 billion <laughs> out of like some <laughs> ambassador to China or whatever. But he's worried that he lost, like, what, 20 bucks at the card table? He's that <laughs> worried that he's going to let Bond swoop in and take his woman? 
<laughs> he's a cheapskate. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't spend his money. Or maybe it's a, it's a 90-10 ratio and Blofeld gets most of the money. Yes! <laughs> is <Spectre's> very greedy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did like the scene, uh, as you said, Noel, with uh, Bond and Domino. It's It's very interesting in this to watch bond in a scene where it's not just all about the mission too you know uh that's another thing i think really sets domino apart is that there's it's it's more of a love interest connection between them in this and uh, i thought that all of their scenes played really well and this one was and all their scenes are different this one wasn't as playful and this is where you get some of that domino backstory which is really good uh after this what do we go to uh we have uh <laughs> bond Entering his hotel room, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, as I said with the um, the, the the plane and the underwater stuff. Sometimes I do zone out if I'm watching this and you know do something else in the background. But this is one scene that always brings me in when yeah. Bond walks in and then he rewinds his tape recorder to find out somebody's <laughs> in his room. I want to have Felix show up at the door and he punches Felix in the stomach. <laughs> We're almost saying 007. Hello, double up. Boom. Yeah, but then he scolds the guy in the shower. What's his name? Quintus or something? Um, How hot is that water uh, in the Bahamas Hotel? I know, like, that's a very quickly kicking in hot water heater. But he scolds the guy, and he doesn't even knock him out because he's like, Felix, you were about to say 007. And then he picks the guy up a second later. It's like, Bond, you just said 007. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. He just punched Felix for no reason. I love that. Well, well, it wasn't Cesspool Linda, so we and we didn't know, know it was Felix at the point. We thought it was just a random sexy glasses yeah. man. I love the way they like panned across with the footsteps on the tape as if there was yes! someone. <laughs> and those footsteps were louder than Bond in the big open hallway there. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's great. That like, how did he know? Like, what if it was Domino or Paula in the shower? And- <laughs> Scolds them. Um, <laughs> Those footsteps sound like the footsteps of a man. I'm gonna scold them. I, lo- I love the bit that when he he gets there and he's letting him go, and it's like you're gonna shoot me in the back, and then he leaves, and then we get like Mister Super, the angriest I've ever heard James Bond slash Sean Connery ever. Now move! <laughs> I wish I wish this was another case of Dent and Bond actually did shoot him. That would be a great end to the scene, but. Uh, the 007 thing confuses me because isn't that his code name? Wouldn't it be James Bond that he doesn't want people to say? Oh, he's happy to tell everyone that. <laughs> it's not my name's Seven, 007. It's my name's Bond, James Bond. Yeah, like, isn't that no... what 007 is for? Yeah, and there's no logic to why he's punching in the stomach. Maybe it's just like <laughs> Felix has been like a real downer since he came out of rehab, and Bond's like, you've just been intolerable since you've been he, sober. He no, of, it's because he's slept with Dink. A bad breakup with Dink. He slept with Dink. That's the Dink. <laughs> yeah, he's come off a bad breakup. <laughs> I've been waiting to do that for years. But, but you're yeah, right, what though, if that scene's kind of the scenes of the movie? Dink. Really <laughs> oh goodness! But it's it's yeah. It I I don't get the whole 007 James Bond thing because yes, they're secret agents, and yet in the entire series, he's so quick to just say Bond. Like they go to this huge big deal of you know creating um, universal exports, so you know he's kept secret, but he still says James Bond. <laughs> like can't he call himself like the name's Samson, Jimmy Samson? <laughs> like. <laughs> The name's Simmons. Bob Simmons. <laughs> the name's Dink. Dink, Dink. <laughs> Nick Dink. Nicky Van Der Zyl. <laughs> <laughs> that is Van Der Zyl. Nicky Van Der Zyl. Yeah, it's a great scene, though. Yes. 
we go from this to another very long underwater scene. Um, Bond spying on the Disco Volante, which is Largo's boat. Um, I, I'll say because this one's shot at night and it's very dark, it's not really that fun to watch. Like the underwater photography is fantastic and Thunderball. It's one of the highlights. But I just I found this scene. It's like even watching this on Blu-ray. I mean, I, I couldn't really see what was going on half the time. Um, I think we skipped one scene, though. Um, Q. Oh, that's right, the Q scene. And we missed yeah. the first bit of the shark, too, didn't we? Getting eaten by yeah. the sharks. <laughs> and yeah. and well, our good friend, Tinder. talk about the underwater. <laughs> <laughs> well, so sharks live there. No, because so. I'm just thinking, how was he breathing? And then I'm like, well, he needed the thing from Q. Yeah, so the Q scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Q's in the field for the first time ever. Um, dressed like... I don't know, like some Hawaiian, Q in a Hawaiian shirt. Yes, <laughs> like, love it. Have we, have we ever expected? Did we up until this point? Did anybody expect they would see Q dressed like you know, like he was in blue Hawaii or something? <laughs> Boothroyd on holiday. Um. <laughs> That's a spin I, off. I wanted to see him with like you know when they 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 put so much um, sunblock on their nose it's just a smear of white sunblock <laughs> yeah. nose i wanted to see q with the white gob of sunblock <laughs> I, I i always love q on the scene though um, it's always fun and each film we're getting a more q development from doctor no to this one so it's always fun but i'm thinking uh, between 1962 and 1965, they really downsized their Geiger counters from uh, <laughs> the big box he had in Doctor No. Now it's down to a watch. So a lot of development over these past three years. I love Q on the scene as well. And my biggest question is throughout the whole rest of the movie, as long as it's where did his hat go, is where does Q go? Like he's still hanging around with every other member of MI6 like in the Bahamas. But this is it for Q. Like does Q like go, oh, right now? Going I'm on a binge with Pinder. I'm going back on a holiday now. Now <laughs> fuck off and don't. Like where is Q's he after a, this? Q's on a bender for the entire mission. That's the Q's Kiss Club with Pinder all night. <laughs> Q's the one playing the drums. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a great scene, though, if Q was at the at the Kiss Kiss bar, just having a lot of fun. Q, Q's, make... Q's random girl on float in Mardi Gras. <laughs> if only Q's this was a Roger Moore film. Everybody on the balcony. <laughs> now do pay attention. <laughs> and wouldn't it be? I really wish they did this. If in this scene, Q was wearing Bond's hat, I think that would have been a great thing. <laughs> And I'm not even joking. That would have made for a great conclusion to that. There's my hat. Because it makes sense that Q would be messing with Bond, stealing his hat. I really wish they did that. Yeah, that's so funny because the whole time I was watching this scene, I was thinking, is this the most efficient use of money? Let's send our manager all the way to the Bahamas to give him a breathing device and a watch. Like, you could have sent, like, some intern to do this. But it makes sense now because... Bond would be asking that himself as a Q. Did you really need to come all this way just to show me these gadgets? And he's like, oh, I have something else for you. A surprise. I got your hat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Q, I love you. Come out to dinner. Bond really is an arsehole in this scene. (laughs) In this scene? I think we're discovering he's an arsehole in the entire series. Yeah. Well, when he he gives him the, the, the homing beacon... And he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? He's like, well, of course, you're supposed to swallow it. And Bond's like, now? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing here is the one of two Pinder scenes. Like, 
I remember watching this like, oh, we're going to get Quarrel 2.0. Like, this is going to be great. Another local Islander. He's going to be awesome. Yeah, Pinder. Why yeah. is he in this movie? <laughs> Pinder, the only good thing Pinder has ever done is uh, he was the main reason why Tinder was called Tinder because they were Bond, film, <laughs> Bond fans. Oh, let's call it uh, Pinder Tinder. Because um, Paul uh, didn't work as well. had a subplot of the relationship between Pinder and Paula. That would have been amazing. If Pinder yeah. and Quarrel were brothers, that would have been amazing. Right. Like, <laughs> no, it was a plot twist. Uh, it wasn't until I went to the Bahamas that I realized that Pinder is probably the most common name there. So this is... <laughs> we're, we're like, Pinder, great. Like you were saying, Noah, it's like, oh, we have a local islander. It'll be like Quarrel. But for them, like anybody in NASA watching this is like, wow, you gave us a Smith. Like, congratulations <laughs> on creativity there. <laughs> <laughs> Smithers <laughs> Colonel Smithers but, but yeah uh, back to that there's a lot of random scenes but I do like this scene sneaking around the Disco Volante at night time it's, it drags a bit but I love that the Disco Volante has closed circuit television <laughs> cameras <laughs> on the bottom of the boat <laughs> that are so oh, very conveniently placed in the one spot where they're having a fight with two different angles well, let's let's just get this out of the way before we even get to You Only Live Twice. This closed-circuit TV makes a lot more sense than the video camera that seems to be floating in space in You Only Live Twice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also... Well, uh, floats in space. ...feeding the henchmen to the sharks uh, also happened between there. But yeah. This, oh, yeah, we have to talk about the shark. How daring was that stuntman? Like, we talk about the stuntman, you know, Bob, oh, yeah. Bob Simpson's car... This stuntman, with no protective gear on, jumped onto a shark. Like, this isn't, like, the stuff later on where we saw Sean Connery and he was clearly behind, like, plate glass and maybe one scene where the shark swims past him. This guy jumped on a shark and he was, like, moving. Like, if you know anything about sharks, don't make movements like that. They're attracted yeah. to splashing. The guy rode the horse, like, rode the shark like it was a horse. <laughs> He's Mick Fanning. It's Mick Fanning, clearly. I don't I don't think this will be matched until Live and Let Die with the crocodile. This is one of the most yeah. daring stunts of all time. And yet nobody ever looks at it as a stunt. Like, it's, it's blink and you miss it for most people, but it's insane looking at what this guy's doing. Uh, ben, the underwater sequence, one of the about three dozen scenes of Bond spying on the Disco Volante underwater. <laughs> it goes for too long. I mean, I, I like it, but it just... This is the part, I think, when I was messaging both of you guys in our group last night, where I'm like, Thunderball goes on for a little bit, doesn't it? It was the exact <laughs> moment when I messaged it. The exact moment. Like, do we, do we really need to get shots of Bond, the photographer? Like, I mean, that goes on for a little bit. And then we get random throw grenades in the water, like, oh, there's some bubbles, that's where he must be. Um, no, that's where the bubbles have, like, gone up to the top. He's probably <laughs> swum, like, two metres, three metres forward of that exact point since you'd seen the bubbles. Um, I mean, I get the whole setup and I understand it. And then we get a lovely shot just afterwards of Bond practicing uh, developing his film, um, which uh, took me right back to the days of college. But um, yeah, they could have shortened this scene, I feel, by at least three hours. Good introduction after this where Bond gets to meet Fiona Volpe and uh, he's hitchhiking, which is, I, I think this is the only <laughs> time we see Bond hitchhike in soaking wet clothes. And she picks him up by the side of the road and... Uh, again, kind of like a pointless scene, but fun. Like, really, where is the logic in this? Why is Fiona driving 150 <laughs> kilometers an hour? Yes. <laughs> That's what. Um, uh, yeah, it's pointless, but as you said, it is quite fun. But 
You think she's gonna like crash it and jump out or something? <laughs> she really wants to get to the hotel. There must be a band playing that has to jump up Jamaica. <laughs> Uh, the, the band firing, jump up firing whoever in the dragon air. <laughs> yeah, they're touring the Hummers, and she really wants to get there. She's running late. But... <laughs> I also and laugh. you get a good. There's a good line from Bond. Was like, you fly here often. <laughs> yeah, that was good. But I, I, I love that she's wearing the Spectre ring too, and so is Largo. Like, um, that's almost as bad as Bond wanting to not call be called 007. Like, they're wearing rings. <laughs> I don't yeah. think ISIS members walk around with an ISIS logo. <laughs> like, just uh, the one, the one bit. Well, that I ben, they probably do. Probably, yeah, I've never ISIS met him. T-shirts with an arrow pointing up. <laughs> uh, You'll but, a better T-shirt than Quantum of Solace. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. Was I the only person when Bond comes out from the water just before he gets hitchhiked and he's sort of emerging from the water? I'm expecting him to start singing like underneath the mango. <laughs> and then some woman watching on like going no i'm only looking like <laughs> i think i was the only one there who just got honey rider call back to dr no um what did we have after that scene uh we have <laughs> if we didn't have enough of bond playing high card with largo uh we get uh, the skeet shooting with largo next oh, which, oh i'm like this is again one of those moments Saved by one of the best lines of the movie, but oh, yeah. was anybody dying to see Skeet shooting in a Bond movie? Yes. I mean, it's cool when he shoots, when Bond shoots it, but it's kind of like, yeah, why? Because in the book, um, it's a, a tour of the Disco Volante with Felix, and that's what this scene is in the book, and that would have been much better. Well, it's just James Bond... Um, well, villains of James Bond trying out for the Olympics. That's really what it is. I mean, golf wasn't an Olympic sport, so now they're trying their hand at skeet shooting. Um, so, yeah, that's what it is. It, it is a fun scene, like, again, in the beginning. Like, any scene, you could have Bond and Domino together. This is something that really surprises me. A lot of people watch Thunderball, and they come out of it saying, it seems like this is the movie where Sean Connery starting to get bored. I'm thinking this is the movie where Sean Connery seemed to be enjoying himself the most, because... Even in Goldfinger, we don't we get a lot of scenes where Sean Connery's kind of looks like he's having fun in his own character, but not scenes where he's having fun with all the actors. And like the guy who plays uh, Largo, Adolfo Celli or whatever, like talk about no personality. But Bond <laughs> makes the best out of him in this scene where he's asking about the uh, the the gun. It's like that looks like a gun more fitting for a woman. <laughs> he's like. Do you know much about guns, Mr. Bond? It's like, no, I know a little bit about women. <laughs> it's, it's a brilliant quote, but more sexist Bond. But yeah, that more quote, sexist Bond. That quote is amazing, though. Best quote of the film. Just quickly, uh, Colin, on your point there of Connery, uh, according at least to the trivia on IMDb, again, I've never spoken to Sean Connery, so I can't back this up, but apparently... Spoken it's, to Jack, uh, what was his name? Um, yeah. Jack Whittingham. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, Jack Whittingham, yeah. <laughs> yes. well, that 15 years black. before you were born. <laughs> Accor- according to IMDb trivia, this film was Sean Connery's favourite performance as 007, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's funny because wrong. he came out, he did come out later and say that From Rush With Love was his favourite. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I it saying that in the same trivia site, so yeah. clearly IMDb... But, <laughs> One thing Moonraker was his favorite performance. As <laughs> never say never again. Ask Sean Connery. It's like, what was your favorite Bond? He's like, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Like, you weren't in that one. I think I was. <laughs> Die another day. 
But I think with uh, with Connery, he really loved the Bahamas enough that Sean Connery has been retired from acting for over 10 years now, and he basically retired to Nassau. So through filming this movie, I think that he enjoyed filming this one the most, but I think that his favorite of the movies is from Russia with Love. Um, I will say I never did find Sean Connery when I was in Nassau. He lives in a very ritzy area, but when we were driving on our way back to the airport, uh, we were driving past and we did see the neighborhood he lived in, which is basically only about six mansions. So I'm pretty sure I have a video somewhere where... And he owns all of them. Yeah, if you knew which house was Sean Connery's, though, you, it's like, that one's Sean Connery's. So that's the question. Yes, that's, that's Prinder's house. house. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Vanderzeel's his neighbor. Uh. Yeah, the, the skeet shooting, uh, not a great idea. But again, Bond flirting with Domino right in front of Largo. Absolutely love that. Like, Bond is just taunting Largo the whole time, which really makes you wonder, why is Largo such a boring character in this movie? Do we want to talk about that now or about two-thirds of the way into Largo's character development here. It's funny because like neither the actor nor the voice actor, because it's another case of Nikki uh, voicing over, uh, that <laughs> commanding of the screen, it's just so boring, and like they tried to give him an eye patch to give him some sort of deformity, and it's just like... Which we never maybe, find out what it is. <laughs> yeah, m- maybe it is because of Blofeld... But that also happened in From Russia of Love, and Cleb, mm. Constine, and uh, Grant are brilliant villains. So I just think he's got no no presence. But even if you change the actor, I'm not sure it would still be a good character. So I think it's a mixture of the script and just the actor, and maybe the plot isn't that interesting either. And Lago just doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to care about anything that happens in anything. So, yeah, not a great villain. He, he has the one goal of, you know, blowing up the world, essentially, which, um, you know, is a plot which we will get used to. But, yeah, it's it's I, I, it's fascinating with these ones where they get their voices dubbed over because I, I seriously would love to hear how bad he was, like that they felt the need to dub him over and then even the dub... Mr. Robert Wrighty or Retty still exactly wasn't brilliant. Um, so how bad is Adolfo as he's... Ah, the Ben impression for every character. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I just pictured it. You know anything about guns? Um... Yeah, I, I agree kind of with everything that, that's been said. And he just, like, Goldfinger, I, I liked how sort of, Colin, you, you put it out there that he's a bit of an inept, idiot, bumbling idiot, but he's still, like, memorable because he's just got so many things about him. And, I mean, even Dr. No, we see him for, like, three seconds in the entire movie, but he's still, like, don't mess with him, otherwise he'll crush his crush your balls with his gloves. Whereas, like Lago, he doesn't he doesn't have anything. <laughs> That's what Thunderball is. Yeah, like, <laughs> with a metal claw. Like like Doctor New, Doctor New, <laughs> he has his claws. Um, you know, Goldfinger has his obsession for gold. What does Lago have? His eye patch and affinity for eye patches. <laughs> like pirate. Like, couldn't couldn't they make it something out of it like oh behind his eye he's got a laser or something like evil that you remember about him like he takes he, his eye patch off and he burns off Bond's face with a laser yes that's 
Maxim a good villain. <laughs> like the, the plot twist is that in Goldfinger he was actually standing above Bond with his iPads. <laughs> Expect me to talk. Shut up, Lago's trying to kill you. But yeah, like there's nothing. Blackbeard, Blackbeard is a better eyepatch wearing villain. <laughs> there's nothing remotely like like how is he number two? That's all I'll be the question. Like, he's a shit number two. Well, first of all, we know that the voice actor, Robert Reddy, has done much better work because how much life did he bring to Strangways in Dr. No? But <laughs> Largo, not ah! sure. <laughs> But I think part of... Here's part of the problem with Largo. I think the whole setup is wrong. Largo's mission was to steal these bombs. So by the time Durval or fake Durval, uh, Foval, whatever, by the time he <laughs> has been cut off and he's dead, the mission's over until we get to the end of the movie. And the only other time he has significance is in that last fight. The rest of the time he was just all waiting. It's like, okay, well, we have the bombs now. Every half hour we're going to do something with the bombs. Now we're going to move the bombs onto the boat. Then a half hour later, now we're going to move the bombs into a hiding location. And... He's just constantly moving things around. So this is one of those instances where I think if you told the story of Largo all the way from I'm going to recruit, like kind of like we saw with Cleb, Largo recruits, you know, Fiona for keeping people in line and, and getting in with the real Durval. He recruits and, and the, the fake Durval. He recruits Count Lippy. He puts together this plan. Then we have an interesting villain. But he just sits around waiting in this movie. And I think that's part of the problem. Are his henchmen, the all dressing in black, plus Fiona, are they Lago's men or are they Spectre agents? Are they like agent? Well, uh, we know that Vargas. We're going to talk about Vargas oh, now. Vargas. We know Vargas has to be hired by Largo because Blofeld would never go near that man. <laughs> Largo is just... such a he's such a dick to Vargas. <laughs> you don't well, agree. I have to. What do you here. do, Vargas? <laughs> Anybody oh, good, if you watch the movie, go on to Wikipedia and read the write-up of Vargas's character. Yes. Uh, you pull it up here. This is uh, Philip Locke as Vargas, Largo's personal assistant and henchman who abstains from alcohol, <laughs> smoking, and sexual intercourse, emphasizing <laughs> his devotion as a killer. So, what? From sexual intercourse emphasizes how devoted he Bob's is to... a killer? <laughs> yeah. Bond is the exact opposite. Bond is all Bond's on everything but crack cocaine, and it makes them more cold-blooded. So eight-year-eight-year-olds are, are, are devoted killers, are they? They don't smoke, they don't drink, and they don't have sex. They're fucking eight-year-olds, eh? Why does and, that like Wikipedia? Why does this emphasize his devotion as a killer? You <laughs> abstain from sexual intercourse. Who wrote that? Jesus. Is Vargas the worst henchman ever? Because I was thinking he could well be. Most forgettable henchman ever. We just put together a collection of memes with Vargas's clueless expression throughout this movie because the man who plays Vargas looks like they kidnapped him and wiped his memory. And the whole time he's just trying to think, where am I? How did I get here? You must act in a James Bond film. And who's his friend, Mr. Jenny or whatever? Vargas and Jenny, like yeah, Jenny. the best duo ever. <laughs> and the, Wiki the Wikipedia right up there, Colin, one of Largo's thugs who is usually paired with Vargas. Like, okay, good. Yeah, oh, Vargas, like, oh, again, Vargas. They're, they're, maybe you're onto something uh, with the needing to have a character quirk because I think they tried this character quirk with the eye patch and they tried the character quirk with Vargas, but 
you need to bring some life to the characters. Like, Vargas, yeah, I'm going to agree with you, at least up until this point. Hands down, the worst henchman they ever had. <laughs> bring back the three blind mice. Let's talk about how boring... Like, not only are we going to make Vargas a boring henchman, but we're going to explain to you why he's boring in every other area <laughs> of regular life. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to quickly point out um, while we're sort of talking about with you know with Largo, and we mentioned Robert um, Reddy. I think it's it's interesting to note that he actually was in Never Say Never Again, and according to this, is the only actor who was in both besides uh, Sean Connery. Um, <laughs> he played an Italian minister in Never Say Never Again. I don't know which one. If there was more than one. Um, and sadly, Robert Reddy only died, uh, in 2015, died in April. You said, said, sadly, he only died in 2015, like you were hoping it was much earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's exactly my point. Not that he's sad that he died, but I wish he had died, like, after Never Say Never Again. Sadly, except for McFlurry, only died. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I think we can move on past the Vargas scene. We have Vargas at all. Can we not talk about Vargas again? Can we just have a black ban on Vargas talk? No matter how many episodes we do of this show, Vargas will never be mentioned again. I think we'd all agree to talk about Dying of the Day than Vargas. There's another potential episode title, Never Say Vargas Again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we've got two now for this episode. Oh, we'll have to flip a coin. (laughs) Well, after this, we get to see a very cool sequence, The Junkanoo, which is... Uh, it's often explained as like the local Mardi Gras, but what it actually is is kind of the post-Christmas parade. I'm pretty sure they hold the junk canoe either on Christmas Day or on Boxing Day, and it is a huge deal there. Um, they have stands. We went there in November, uh, was our honeymoon, and first of all, the one thing I have to say is the Bahamas takes Christmas very seriously. Like It's Christmas everywhere there, no matter what time of year it is. And they have already had one to you. Let's that enough reference, yay! In in Nassau, they already had their stands set up, like they have like stadium like stands just to watch the junk canoe. So this is a big deal there. And I guess what happened with the junk canoe was that when they before they had gotten a script or even started filming, they knew they had to include this because it only happens once a year. So they rushed a camera crew out there. They filmed it. You know, had Connery running around. Um, I'm pretty sure the same thing happened in Moonraker, too, where it was a similar thing in Rio. Uh, but the Junkanoo, you get to see a great parade and lots of Bond running around. And uh, Anybody want to talk about the Junkanoo? I want to talk um, about the fact when they advertise it as a Mardi Gras. <laughs> I'm expecting something completely different. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <All> Kinder. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we also didn't bring up that Paula gets kidnapped here. Um, mm-hmm. but, and dies. Um, well, I think it I happened in between the Junkanoo scenes. Yeah. Um, this isn't quite the chase yet, is it? Or are you talking about the chase? This is just Bond bringing Domino there, I think. Yeah, um, I love uh, when they're going after him and he dropped his gun and it goes <laughs> off. <laughs> He's got a very clumsy gun. Um <laughs> Yeah, I th- that's something you expect out of the Beretta, you know, like... Yeah, <laughs> that's the they replaced it. But I won't jump too far ahead with the chase, but I do like everything that happens in this next 10 or 15 minutes. It's, yeah. yeah, it's great. It's well shot. And um, 
I mean, I I never really knew much about the background of this whole parade, Colin. Till you mentioned all that, but um, I want to go and see it. I mean, if that's if that's what a Mardi Gras is like in the Bahamas, I'll go and watch it. Despite the fact they're clothed head to toe, you still are on for it. <laughs> well, why not? You know, I I am down for a street parade in the Bahamas. <laughs> um, we mentioned Paula being kidnapped. Uh, Fiona shows up at the house and. Everybody's favorite character, the assistant, Paula Kaplan's kidnapped. Um, funny thing about this, this is what drags Bond away from the junk new. And I love when Felix shows up and tells Bond that Paula's gone because it's almost like a reverse scene. He's like, they've got the girl. And I just expected Bond to go, dink! And he's like, no, Paula! He's <laughs> not very discreet about it, old Felix, either. I mean, again, secret agents doing their best to not get spotted in public. Oh, James, I think that man's trying to get your attention. Well, really? <laughs> Paula, but I'm a bit confused about her death. Did she kill herself? Yes. See, this is where there's a little bit of intrigue in Vargas's character because Vargas always has this very <laughs> blank stare on his. Well, here, Vargas always has that ridiculous <laughs> blank stare on his face, and the only time we really hear him talk in this movie is where they come into the room and Paula's dead, and they're like, "What happened?" It's like, "I don't know. I, she must have taken Sina." <clears throat> Did Vargas just like all of a sudden? switch off and he just went into psycho mode and just murdered her on the spot and all of a sudden he switches on again he has no memory of what happened like i was watching this imagining maybe there's more to vargas here he went to have sex with her but then realized he's a cold-blooded killer yeah but vargas is really norman bates of the james bond franchise why 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 did she kill herself because she didn't want to talk like i'm a bit confused about this scene well, isn't that what all secret agents do when they're kidnapped, except for James Bond? Well, do you expect me to talk? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that Bond swallowed his cyanide years ago. Uh... Yeah, but <laughs> but you, you talk about that as uh, that's what all secret agents do. I'm still not even sure who Paula is. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is part of the problem here, I think, with Paula's character. is I think... you. I didn't really agree with you in the beginning, Noah, but I kind of see now that they do have too many characters. And I think one of the things that stands out in this movie is they have so many good Bond girls. You know, you have Fiona, you have Domino, you have Paula, you have the nurse in the beginning, Patricia, Patricia or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of Bond girls in this, but Paula kind of is shoved aside. And it makes it all the more strange when Bond goes there to rescue her, only to open the door, see she's dead, not even bother to check the pulse and just be like, well, she's dead, might as well go back to the junkyard. <laughs> You don't care about it. There's no emotion there at all. Like so bipolar on Paula. Like I'm bipolar. Bit, but but like bipolar. But I mean, he was like that with Quarrel. Remember? Ah, burn. Oh well, Quarrel's yeah, dead. Moving on. Felt sad when Quarrel died. Like I love Paula, but yeah, it's like whatever. I didn't give two shits about Paula. I'm sorry, but like, oh well, she <laughs> she killed herself. Oh well, she served a huge purpose in this movie. I must be devastated. She pretended to not know how to operate a boat. That's basically her purpose. <laughs> I was sadder for random underwater guard Seven, who got stabbed viciously by Connery. A, a, a callback to From Russia with Love. With, uh, I guess she won't be going to gypsy heaven or something like that. <laughs> a fun callback to From Russia with Love. <laughs> like, Vazir's going to be very upset. I'm not going to be his son anymore. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Ah. <laughs> Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's get into the shark part here. Uh, first of all, we have to clear something up because this is where I, I had to rewatch this scene three times to get it. 
because we are going to have our kill count at the end here. Do you guys have a count on how many people Bond kills during this sequence here escaping from Palmyra? Oh, God, I, my kill count, like, I'm the person who We know counts... that you're, Bond, like, <laughs> slaps the guy in the face, and like, he must be dead. Dead. <laughs> yeah. like, my, I, like, I, I seriously lost so much track, of, particularly the last scene, like, when you Bond turns into a... You whole number. Bond, Bond turns into a spree killer at the <laughs> end. <laughs> like, he just doesn't give a shit, he's just murdering left, right, and centre. I, I don't even want to say what my kill count is at the because it's probably about 30 more than all of you. Noah, what, just for this sequence, Noah, what did you have? Like the, the escape and the, the swimming in the pool? Um, I've written the entire number down, but I don't really write each character who has been killed because I yeah, can't write I'm fast same. enough. I'm the same. But I think it uh, was three or four. I'm, I watched this one three times, so I'm, I'm going to kind of be the authority on this and you guys don't have a real opinion. Uh, that's, that's, that's really okay, how, it, how it's been for the past three kill count things because I just I just uh, don't pay attention to it enough and Ben rounds to the nearest whole thirty or twenty or ten. <laughs> I'll just say I'll just say at to this point I'm on five. Well, okay. Well, with this sequence here, obviously we know he kills the guy you know with the shark scene, but it's in a scene here where he's escaping and it's very hard to follow because it's dark and you can't even really see Bond. But what happens is. Bond shoots, and then everybody starts shooting each other, and Largo even reprimands him. It's like, he's got you shooting at each other now. I see after Bond fires the trigger, one guy collapse. And after that, I'm pretty sure it's just them shooting each other. So I think this sequence had two. So I just wanted to clear that up before we move on. Um, I'm happy with Bond, right, and you guys are Trust wrong. the Canadian. Trust the Canadian. Do what Bond did and... Didn't I love the escape, though. That's one of my favourite scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, when he gets out, yeah. I love... I, I just wanted to see Bond get into, like, a punch-up with a shark. Like, Bond <laughs> versus a shark. I just wanted to see Bond grab the shark by its fins. Like, Where's the girl? I don't know, I don't know. And punch it in the face. <laughs> well, what does he do? Tell me, does- Jaws! Tell me! Doesn't in one of the later films he punches, like, a camel or something like that? <laughs> Bond, hashtag, hates animals. I oh, know, I'm thinking of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> oh, oh, clearly I, I, an easy one to get mistaken. Uh, I know, I mix them up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just like the scene in Jingle All the Way where Arnold Schwarzenegger punches a reindeer. Like, uh, you know, I thought that was the movie as well. Who has but seen this... Jingle All the Way enough times to remember what Arnold Schwarzenegger punches? Hey, in the I will not hear a bad word against Jingle All the Way. The greatest line in the history of movies is in that movie. Put the cookie down. This you think that leads... like take your toy, go back to the carpet? <laughs> <laughs> what if um, every out of my way, box? <laughs> we have to explore this. What if every character that Nikki Vanderzil and Robert Reddy voice really just sounded like Schwarzenegger? <laughs> yeah. What if every time Bond flirts with Domino and he's like, oh, I, I just recognize the, the uh, bracelet you're wearing with your name on it. What sharp eyes you have, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, so is, is Nikki Vanderzil voice him in the Conan O'Brien? Conan O'Brien. <laughs> That too. Um, oh fuck! I don't know what we're talking about. I, lo- I lost sharks. track of jingle all the way. Sharks, sharks yes. Bond I, I, versus sharks. I think the scene that comes after this is my favourite scene in the whole movie: the escape through the Mardi Gras to the Kiss Kiss Club. Well, we have we skipped again an important scene there where Bond and Fiona get it on. Which how long? Let's let's time this. 
how long did Bond leave Domino? At the, he, he offered to take her to Junkanoo, and then he leaves her. It's long enough for him to go all the way back to sneak into Palmyra. It's long <laughs> enough for him to have a fight with a shark, get a bunch of guys shooting each other, make his way back to his hotel, get it on with Fiona, get kidnapped by Fiona, get shot by Fiona. Like, was he gone for six hours? Not to mention he just witnessed Paula's death. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and didn't care. <laughs> He's really a prick, James. Like, he just sleeps with, oh, there's a naked woman in my tub. Oh, I love Domino. Oh, no, I don't. Bang. Oh, you didn't think I actually enjoyed that, did you? We're going to take forever to get to the one scene Noah wants to talk about in this entire movie, but we got to talk about Bond and Fiona here. He walks into Fiona in the bathtub, and she's like, oh, you startled me. Would you give me something to put on? And he hands her <laughs> shoes. And he sits there and creepily just watches. Yeah, I love the way he just sits down, he crosses his legs, like, well. <laughs> and the whole time, she's got a towel big enough to cover her anyway, so what is she asking for? <laughs> yeah, she's got the, her whole head wrapped up. <laughs> I do love I do love the line, though, <laughs> what I did was for king and for country. Like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's his excuse. <laughs> I think this just highlights uh, Fiona. She is great in this film. Um, and, of course, another appearance from Vargas. Oh, who didn't we want to have sex? That one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does anybody have the line that she gives uh, to Bond? Like, because let's let's give a bit of context here. The Bond movies had taken some criticism uh, for the fact that, especially in Goldfinger, the idea that you know, let's just take apart the whole lesbian thing because as we cleared up in Goldfinger, even in the book, Pussy was not a lesbian. But <laughs> there's a line I'd like to hear again. Pussy is not a lesbian. Um, <laughs> but uh, with the criticism was that even if she was a villain, all Bond had to do was sleep with her, and she's all of a sudden she's won over. And Fiona has a line that addresses that that was intentionally put in this movie to address that criticism. This is what I was saying earlier that the Fiona character was kind of it was very innovative because they were playing against type with Bond girls here. And I have the quote up here where after Bond has slept with her and he even says, as you said, like, I only did it for queen and country. You didn't think it'd give me any pleasure. And she says, I forgot your ego, Mr. Bond, James Bond, the one uh, where he has to make love to a woman. And she starts to hear heavenly choir singing. She <laughs> repents and turns to the side of right and virtue. She's <laughs> mocking Bond. She's like, yeah, okay. Like she's basically addressing everything with Pussy Galore that got criticism, or even Tanya and From Russia with Love. And she's the total opposite of these characters. And I think that's what makes her such a good villain. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's interesting to have that turned around, and it's a good way of describing it because, I mean, even like we joke about the 1960s and we joke about the time, but I mean, how many of these movies were we having at the time where a woman was like? using that as a, a, you know, was more than just a, a thing for somebody to have sex with, if you know what I mean. Like, she was mm. doing that for far more than just um, getting pleasure. That wasn't pleasurable for me, did you? Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's a good way of looking at that, actually. Um, after this, we finally get to talk about Noah's favourite scene, the chase, uh, <laughs> which really starts with a, a great moment where they're in the car, and you have Boozo drunk guy number three from the junk canoe, who just won't take no for an answer. He keeps offering them. Like, Anybody yes. want a drink? Come on. Come on. They're like, get out of here, drunko. You know, like, oh, just one Thank quick you, drink. Tinder. 
Felix is falling off the wagon. <laughs> Secure on his on his binder bender. And what's he drinking? To, like fucking methylated spirits or something? Is it a wolf? Off we go. The man's drinking gasoline. That's they're <laughs> hardcore at those junk canoes. <laughs> this of course leads to the entire uh, escape uh, that Noah's talking about. Bond in the float, dripping blood. Fiona chasing paint. them and dripping paint. Come on, that was <laughs> yeah. And of course they end up at the appropriately titled Kiss Kiss uh, Club which was in reference to what the song was going to be, which, of course, Noah, you probably know a little bit of the history of where the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang comes from. Uh, yeah, it is. The actual name for it comes from... I'm not sure if they actually ever said it might be Japanese, but it's the Asian, as they referred to it. That was their nickname for James Bond, um, Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So they were going to use that for the um, theme originally with Bassie and then with... Help me out here. Tom Jones? No. Dion Warwick. Yeah, there you go. Um, and so <laughs> we talked about, uh, remember him riding from Russia with Love on the picture and then Russia scared the living daylights out of her. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is kind of like their way of getting the theme song into the, <laughs> into the movie because they had the theme song. So they're like, oh, we have to have a... Kiss Kiss Club, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Club, but I do like how the music is playing in the background, which you guys probably noticed. The do do do. No, I'm not going to do something. Uh, if you know me. Oh, Beverly Hills song. Cop again. Yeah, chase through the thing is brilliant. And did you guys notice the music playing through this chase? I didn't. I <laughs> oh, that music. I thought you were talking about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, no, I noticed that music, uh, yeah. Yeah, my favourite, 007 takes the lector. And just this entire scene is great. Uh, jumping through the Junkanoo and then um, the club with the dancing and using her as a human shield, second time in two <laughs> missions. Um, Bond and the women. Like. <laughs> I wrote... Um, where is Pussfella slash Crazy Dancing Guy? He might know. <laughs> yes. And then I also wrote the Bongos. They're the same Bongos from Doctor No. That that's the band that did the Doctor No theme. The boom, 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 boom. That's all I could think of was Doctor No. I, I the one bit I'll just add quickly um, is I love the moment when he's at the bar and he sees um, that he's been chased and he just like grabs that woman. I'd love to dance. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, oh, okay. And then two seconds later, when um, Fiona shows up, it's like, oh, I didn't know your wife was here. She just walks off. Yeah. And again, we said that uh, Peter Hunt earlier wasn't really on his game in this. Not necessarily his fault, but like this sequence shows where he is on his game because the fast cutting back and forth between the gun and Fiona and Bond and then the bongos and then it just gets faster and faster and faster only to have Fiona get shot in the back. I mean such good editing in this sequence and left off on the perfect line like one of my favorite lines ever in james bond where he's like can you mind if my friend's sisters went out she's just dead <laughs> and again just walks off like are these people at that table like going, oh my god he murdered this woman call the police <laughs> like, how much longer after that is there an apb put out on james bond? How, how does his license to kill work like did the bahamas police rock up and go you're under arrest for murder wait i have a license to kill yes. oh that's okay then she was like, on the way to a funeral <laughs> uh-huh. 
uh, after this, we get, uh, I think, our third or fourth scene of Bond underwater spying on the Vulcan. Um, yeah. Getting a little bit old at this point, I think. Um, which, which then is James. Bond, well, Bond, <laughs> this is basically where Bond finds the, the bombs, I think. And um, it's followed up by Bond really laying out everything that's been going on to Domino. He finds her again in the ocean. And... <laughs> Does he find her in the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> Bond and Domino make sweet bubbles together in the ocean. <laughs> and can I just point out, just for everybody thinking at it, not the easiest thing to do in the world. There we go. I'll just leave it what, at that. Making bubbles? or Well, making bubbles underwater. Uh... <laughs> Ben, please do not elaborate. Our listeners don't need a visual of you. I, I didn't. I didn't say it was me. <laughs> well, I'll change it. I'll change wow, it. that was, was awkward. You're like, by the way, should just say, not that easy to do. Okay. <laughs> I just went <laughs> a couple times. Had success once or twice. It wasn't that fun. Yeah, I, I meet Domino all the time in the Bahamas. I just want to really quickly back up, really quickly, and just because I've written this down on my notes because I wanted to make a point out of this. The the poor sharks in this movie get treated like shit. Felix shoots a shark. Shoot one of those sharks. Rest in peace, Sharky. The poor little thing that yeah, I'm not sure if this film would get in trouble nowadays with all the shark killing. I'm assuming that that was probably a real dead shark too. Like, I didn't see the subtitle at the end of the movie. No animals were harmed in the making of this film. It actually said animals were harmed in the making of this film. So far, let's be realistic here. So far, we have seen at least one shark kill a person. So I think the game's just even at this point with one shark kill. <laughs> well, in all fairness, like, the sharks had no other option. The guy was pushed into the water. They were hungry. Like... The art department was really going after anything. <laughs> the shark didn't walk out out of the tank and go, excuse me. Oh! What option did Felix had? He had to shoot something, right? Like, what <laughs> else did Felix there for? <laughs> Felix shows up, and he gets nothing to do but wear sunglasses, get punched in the stomach, and shoot a shark. And he wears he a different he shirt. He wears a different Hawaiian shirt in every scene in this movie, I swear. He's boring it off of Q's wardrobe. <laughs> Him and Q are sleeping with each other. That's where Q is. <laughs> I, I can't hat. believe that we just covered at least two minutes on Bond and Felix flying back and forth in a helicopter. A scene that was so tedious that they actually just flipped the film trivia so they could have them fly in the opposite direction. Oh, anyway, so Bond and Domino have sex underwater. Yeah, Don't try that at home, kids. Bubbles underwater, uh, <laughs> which Ben recommends or doesn't. I'm not really sure. All I said, it's harder than it looks. That's all I said. <laughs> I don't want to read that Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bond on the beach again any scene with Bond and Domino is fantastic and this one's different because they're not really flirting other than Bond sucking her foot uh, which is the first <laughs> why is that the first time Bond has tasted I, that line is so bad like what the <laughs> hell like he's sucking on her foot first time I've tasted a woman does Bond just refuse like he really refuses to pleasure women doesn't he like well, if that's come, the come- Come You Only Live Twice, we find out that there's a difference between Domino, French woman, or Italian woman, whatever she is, and Chinese woman, because apparently they all have different tastes. <laughs> and, like, oh, that, that line, as soon as I had rewound that, like, and put subtitles on, because I had to make sure he said that, because I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> this scene is amazing, though. It's one of the highlights of it, and one of the big criticisms with Pussy Galore was how quickly she turned. But with this one, at least Domino has a reason to be uh, turning and 
like the death of her brother, it's kind of the Tilly Masterson done good. Like it's not just he he sways her and then suddenly she's on Bond's side. So there's a real progression here, and I think it's a much better done scene than Goldfinger did. I feel sorry for Sean Connery acting in that scene because he looked like he legitimately had to suck her foot. Um, was was anybody <laughs> you felt him... sorry for him for that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't like feet. So yes. <laughs> Um, I just wanted him to whip it out and pee on a foot. Like, <laughs> someone's going to have to pee on my hair foot! <laughs> oh, goodness. And Bond wears sunglasses. I just like the fact that he randomly pulls out a pair of, you know, Oakleys. And <laughs> Bond rocks those sunglasses, I gotta he does. say. He should wear sunglasses more often. This is one of my favourite Sean Connery scenes in the entire franchise. I love the way that he plays this scene. You get everything. You get Bond kind of making a joke. You get Bond being very sympathetic. Like Again, this is where I said that the relationship between Bond and uh, Domino is very different because Bond kind of has a heart here, and he feels bad that he's about to basically tell Domino that her brother, her only family, is dead. And then you get it climaxed with Bond shooting a guy and giving like one of the best one-liners ever. Like This movie is filled with great one-liners. Like, Ben, I know you got you got to be the one to to mention the one liner here after he kills Vargas. But before before he says it, I just love the fact that um, Domino so casually just like Vargas is behind you, <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> casual. She's not like ah Vargas. She's just like Vargas behind you. <laughs> but how cool is it that Bond's only reaction is really? Yeah, picks up <laughs> the spear gun, just cool as you like. Picks it up, bang, shoots him. I think he got the point. <laughs> Perfect. It is, and it's it's like I mean, we we talked about in Goldfinger how often you see the you know you expect me to talk scene. I feel this is up there in the top five scenes they always show in like sort of Bond, you know, montages yeah. is you know to go over his famous one-liners. It's one of the best kills as well, though. Ah, oh, yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. so good, and I Especially mean, because it was Vargas. Some one-liners are so you know so over the top forced, but this one is. I mean, it, it, on paper, if you read that, okay, that's so cheesy. But just the way Connery delivers it, it's perfect. You, no other actor who has ever played James Bond could have delivered it the way that Connery did. Yeah, this is the scene that I always go to when I try to explain to people, like, Connery was having fun with Bond still at this point. He may not have been into the whole politics and everything, and we know that he had issues with his pay, but this scene shows how much he was enjoying the part. And it's funny because I remember years ago, I would try to bring this scene up like one of the first Bond movies I ever saw. And I would always use this scene as an example. Like, this is why Bond is so cool. Like, he shoots the guy and he just says, I think he got the point. And this is after a really sad scene. And people have really taken to the scene over the years. Like you said, you always see this in montages. It's one of the best one-liners ever. Yeah. I, I said that other scene was my favorite scene, but this would go up there. Not just the kill, but also confessing, I guess you can call it, to Domino. It's all mm-hmm. awesome. And, of course, he gives Domino uh, a little gadget to um, uh, <laughs> take aboard the Disco Volante, which is... Man, Bond's Geiger counters are getting good. Like, she's <laughs> carrying a Geiger counter on a back. I mean... This thing is the <laughs> Geiger counters of all shapes and sizes. Well, in the 60s, a Cold War, everybody had a Geiger counter. It's like an iPhone these days. It's just what you had. <laughs> Um, yeah. Bond uh, is again sneaking uh, around the Disco Volante um, in disguise this time. Not really much to say there because we've seen the same scene four times now. <laughs> uh, I did really quickly want to talk about Domino getting caught here by Largo leaving her room. Like, 
I'm going to have a lot of praise for Domino when we get to the end of this, but Domino is the world's worst spy. Uh, <laughs> she comes out and she turns this thing on. Like, first of all, Bong kind of set her up because does she expect to be able to sneak around discreetly with this thing like crackling and making all of this noise? And like, Largo's like, what's wrong with that camera? It's like, nothing. But first of all, did she even come up with a cover story of why she's carrying this camera around the boat? Like, Leave me alone, Largo. I just want to take pictures of the walls like I always do. Like, <laughs> I, love, I love the decor of your boat. It's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like she's taking pictures of the stairs and the wallpaper. Like she was taking she... nude selfies. She was Snapchatting. <laughs> she has that mirror on the ceiling that we see later on. <laughs> she's taking pictures <laughs> of her own reflection. <laughs> yes, and I love that. I bought it earlier today. <laughs> like... Yeah, I bought it at the market. <laughs> Shut up! Did I you had buy money. It making that noise, like that's what if Largo was just like really concerned. It wasn't he thought, oh, there's something going on. Did Bond give you that? Is that a gadget? <laughs> but what if he just was like, that's not a healthy noise for a camera to make. I think yeah. you need to take that. <laughs> He's you a camera get, aficionado. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Nikon Seven Three Six doesn't make that noise. You need to switch to Canon. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but I, I love the fact that you hear so much that he's so possessive of Domino. Yet clearly, that's not the case because he just lets her go off with this suave secret agent. And now he's back to possessive mode and shoves her back on the bed. And he's all like being all evil with her over the bed, like, "Ooh, I'm an evil bastard. I'm going to like do things to this woman." And he doesn't even do anything to her. Yeah. Um. Th- this is another thing that just doesn't make sense about Largo. Like, it would have been an interesting character quirk if he was just this possessive boyfriend, but it does seem to go on and off, like you said. Um, there is one part I want to mention. It's probably going to be so boring to everybody else, but when Domino sends him back to the Disco Volante, when he's, she's saying, okay, there's a secret staircase you can take, uh, that location was by far the best location that I was able to see uh, of all the James Bond locations when I was in the Bahamas, because that little staircase, that broken down stone staircase you see right by a bridge when he comes out of the water, looks exactly the same to this day and we were able to get a bunch of pictures by there we shot a video we put the video up on youtube it's such a good location that looks exactly the way it did then and for me to be that close where i kept shooting this thing and i just turned to my wife jamie and i'd be like i'm about 20 feet from where sean connery's foot set down and <laughs> yet you you can't go to that exact spot like cause it's closed off by an exclusive hotel but that that little location was like the highlight of my whole trip to I probably shouldn't say on my honeymoon. I'll just say <laughs> it. Say it. Say it. <laughs> the highlight of my honeymoon was being 10 feet away from where Sean Connery C- Clearly, was. Clearly, Colin, you and Jamie didn't go swimming underwater. So <laughs> There were no bubbles made in Nassau. <laughs> but uh, this pretty much all leads to Bond following them. And uh, we get his homing beacon being picked up. And uh, this leads to the underwater battle, which... We're probably not going to have a lot to say on this, maybe a couple of things to note, but I have to say, despite the fact that this isn't really a big talking point, this whole sequence, for me at least, is one of the greatest action scenes in Bond history. Like It's so good, and it's really brutal in comparison to what we even see today. Yeah, this thing gets a hell of a lot of hate. And there's definitely some criticisms about it, like a lot of criticisms. But I, I kind of like this unique, like, we've had the climax in Dr. No's uh, lair, and then we had the boat, uh, then we had Fort Knox, which was great. This is a unique one, like, they're sh- shifting it up, and this scene still holds up today. 
looks really good. It's the best shot stuff of the film. It's just, uh, well, I don't know if Ben wants to comment on the, the pros of it before we get into some of the negatives about it. No, I like it. And, I mean, we sort of, when I, when it comes to me taking notes, uh, suggestion of Noah Groves, I draw lines underneath kind of when each scene ends and sort of goes through to it. I've basically drawn a line um, underneath where um, the scene where Bond gets rescued with the flare coming out of the, the bit where he was in the cave area. And then I have not drawn a line because this is how long sort of the scene goes on. I just kind of kept it all together. Um, I think it, I, I agree with you. It holds up. To this day, I mean, I, I I think it's a little bit long, but I mean, sort of my comment earlier on when I said Bond turns into a spree killer because it is very, <laughs> it is very brutal and like there are so many people I feel in this scene that Bond doesn't have to kill, but he does anyway. <laughs> um, we get it's the great, hard to you know, tell if he's killed them or not. Well, this is where we're going to get confused. I'm, I'm glad Collins here to sort of go. So much him. orange. But um, I, I, you know, we get the great music. Um, and I also. My special, my special favorite moment of this is I love the random uh, point of view or reaction shots from sea creatures. Um, we get random yes. crayfish, we get random octopus, we get random eel. Um, who we all need to feel. I, th- I feel more sorry for random crayfish than I did for Paula in this movie because I felt he was in danger throughout this big fight. And my one question that I will quickly point out is when all of the the, uh, the you know the collective agents in their red suits are shooting with their spear guns. How do they reload the spears? Because those guns, to me, look like a one-off shot and then you're done. Like, I don't see them reloading at any point. Yeah, well, maybe- the biggest question I always had was why Bond and Largo have this pressing need to be different from everybody. Because Largo just... We know that the reason of the movie is that you have to be able to tell when you got all these random guys all in wetsuits and goggles who Largo is and who Bond is. So it makes sense for that purpose. But in the context of the story, why does Largo refuse to have headgear on <laughs> so that you can see his head? And why does Bond decide he wants to go in short shorts? I mean, <laughs> everybody else is in their full getup. We yeah, have that deep about- sea, even though it's the Bahamas, this is deep sea we're talking about. And, and doesn't it make sense that like the two people that each side is probably after the most, you can pick them out the most exactly. from all the other people? I have to say, though, I... I flippin' love the entrance of both sides. The start of it is my favourite. Parachuting down yeah, and then awesome. coming in, like, you know it's going to set up an epic battle, but, yeah. And this is one, probably one of John Barry's greatest pieces of music ever. I mean, I don't even yeah. care how long the sequence goes, because John Barry's music just nails it. Was uh, that Bond, which should have been the main theme, it's amazing. The 007 theme? Uh... No, it's not 007 Take Selector or the main theme. There's a new theme that only shows up around there, and it's really epic. I should have got the name of it. Well, one funny thing in here, like, the humor's pretty much all gone from the movie, and I really think this whole sequence, the moment that Bond tells them that the nukes are on their way to Miami to here, it is very tense, and I think that's something that a lot of the other parts of the movie were lacking, but great humorous moment where Bond's jumping out of the helicopter and... (laughs) We get Felix, who's uh, clearly uh, on the mend after breaking up with Dink, because uh, he thinks that apparently everything looks good on Bond. <laughs> wow, Felix! Yeah. yeah, Felix is stretching his options out. Look, he's a, he's a very open man, Felix, and um, you know, good on You've him. Seen those bubbles? Yeah. This is pre pre hippie days, pre free love. Felix is all into it, and I feel we need to mention green. 
plume of smoke from the back of Bond's underwater jetpack as well. Like again, well, he has to, yeah, he has to lead them to the bomb. But how's he going to lead them to the bomb if everybody's shooting at the green <laughs> trail behind him? And the one, the one bit I don't get is when he loses his mask and then he grabs that dead guy's mask, and like because he can't see. As soon as he opens his eyes, that mask is still going to be filled with water, is it not? I mean, he's underwater. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think one of the... We mentioned Peter Hunt before. I'm sorry, I'm underwater at the moment. Um, we mentioned Peter Hunt. I think this is one bit that could have been done better. Um, cut maybe three or four scenes, uh, three or four minutes of it, and also just faster cuts. I feel like a lot of it was just swim, swim. Oh, like, just I completely make it... disagree. Disagree? Yeah, I completely disagree. Uh, I think that... When you're, we love the underwater photography in this, and again, they're doing this for real. This is something that even today most people won't do for real. And the longer the shots, the better, because there's so much chaos going on in the background. This is something that's hard to orchestrate. And you only live twice when you have like the same amount of soldiers in the background fighting, and you have all these cool little battles. There's so many people in the background that there's interesting things going on. You want those long shots. But in here, because it's in the water, it's so much harder for them to plan this and, and stage it and shoot it. Like, I think that the long shots really help this. Ultimately, this gets a lot of hate, but I actually do like the underwater battle. It just could have had things better with it. But I think it was a nice try and had some great stuff. And for as long as it goes, it wraps up very quickly. Like, I mean, usually we get kind of an end of a Bond film. It's Bond with the girl at the end, and they're having, like, a nice little romantic thing, and they never want to get rescued. But in this instance, they're in a, a raft. I know I've skipped over a bit here. We're going to obviously go back to, you know, the death of uh, Largo and everything. But then they just picked up, zoom, and then that's it. But I do love when they're on the boat, and it's like the fastest fucking boat in the world. It's going, <laughs> even up to 20. Not, yes, exactly. Out. That's like the Formula One of boats. And in every single scene, you're about to see the boat hit the rocks and then you quickly cut away from it and it's not about to hit the, hit the rocks. Yeah, who knew that 20 knots was 200 kilometers an hour? With the kill count, what I had was, I think, 13 here. And that may be stretched between this and the scene on the boat, I believe. But I have 13. Oh. Now... I watched it pretty closely trying to figure out which ones are Bond. There are two where he just sort of cuts the oxygen line for these guys, and I'm assuming they're probably going to suffocate and die. Yeah, I count but that as dead. Know, yeah, I count that as dead. There's scenes, though, after this, which I know Ben counted as a death, but for whatever yeah. reason, Bond just stops killing people and starts doing random, like, dickish things, where he just pulls one guy's snorkel out, and then he rips the next guy's mask off. And, like, he's just ripping things off of people. He's not even trying to hurt them. He's like, he just rips the guy's mask off and swims away. Like, why is he... Love grenading, Crater. Got your mask. He did, yeah, but he did this so that Ben would count them as deaths, I'm assuming, because Ben's like, Thanks, oh, my Sean. hat. That guy He's Sean. Me yes. He's, you know, the whole spree kill by James Bond is, you know, he's so pissed off about his hat at this point. Like, I've not seen where my hat is this whole time. Fuck you all! I still do goggles. <laughs> See, and that's why Largo went with his just his bare head because he heard the rumors of the hat, and he didn't want Bond to be any angrier than Carlos. I'm going to show you. I don't have the hat. Okay. Really needs to edit, re-edit Goldeneye for England, James. No, for my hat. For my hat. <laughs> that's where Alec Trevelyan is the real thief of the hat. Double O six. 
Double G. <laughs> no, because we only saw the back of his head in Thunderball, but it was him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first scene we get to see Blofeld, he's wearing a hat. <laughs> um, yeah, uh... After this, we, we get Bond ripping off a bunch of people's equipment just for no reason, which is really funny to me. Speeding boat on the Disco Volante. Uh, kind of cool with uh, um, that they can jettison one part of the boat. Like, that's something that we don't really see. And there's all the speculation earlier in the movie. It's like, there's no way the Disco Volante could have made it that far. And now we found out why, because this thing is powered by the rockets that Dr. No had uh, diverted <laughs> NASA in, in the original movie. <laughs> That's why they're so disappointed that Dr. No's dead. He can't get us any more rockets. Rest in peace, Dr. We only no. have the one rocket left and Largo took it. Great. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> the fight scene, this is a big improvement uh, over the fight scenes we saw from earlier in the movie. I think this kind of, in a way, captures what the Red Grant Bond fight had, but maybe that's just me. Uh, let's talk about the fight scene for a second between Bond and Largo. I think it's cool. The random henchmen are a bit weird, um, and they're pretty useless. It, I don't think it's any Red Grant, but I they're mentioned... No Vargas. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned at the top of the show cringeworthy moments. Uh, the motorized traction machine is one, <laughs> and the boat speeding. It just looks so <laughs> ridiculous. I was on the floor <laughs> laughing at this. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> the green screen, it just looks so horrible with how fast it's going. <laughs> I've never seen a, a speedboat go that fast, let alone yacht or whatever it is. Um, but the fight the fight with Lago is quite cool, and I do like how Domino gets her revenge, even though it's a bit Tanya-like with Tanya killing Cleb. But I think, I think it's overall pretty cool, but that boat going <laughs> super fast. And, and who's the guy that saves Domino? She yeah, the guy, say, random guy who oh. saved the world in Goldfinger, he's back. <laughs> but the funniest thing is that you, you see him once outside of the room, when which we, we didn't really talk about, but there wasn't much to say when Largo was uh, torturing Domino. But you saw him that one time, and then he shows up, he's like, he's gone completely mad, I can't go along with this. It's like, And then he's like, he's all nervous, he's like, please tell the Americans, or like the, 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 please tell them that I had nothing to do with this. Yes. So then... After, like, I want to talk about Domino in a second, but let's talk about the random guy because Bond's like, Who's he? And Domino's like, He saved me. And Bond's like, Okay. And he shoves him overboard. <laughs> and then when Bond and Domino get picked up by the skyhook, why is this guy still drowning in the ocean? Because <laughs> that guy said he couldn't, and Bond had to give him a life ring. Now he's in the middle of the ocean. But what about the remaining, like, double O agents that are in the water that survived the battle, too? Like, does the play not give a shit about them? It's only yeah. Bond. <laughs> Like, the rest of them will be fine. Like, wasn't there that plane or boat or whatever that crashed in World War Two, and half of them got picked off by sharks? Like, you know, they not cared about that. That guy definitely died, though. There's no way that guy lived. It's so random guy from Goldfinger, though, that saved the world. He's back. Like, uh, I want to talk about uh, Domino killing Largo here for a second because I think this is, again, like a final great moment of domino and i think that even aside from her appearance i mean domino is such a great character and the performance is so good and this moment it's pretty much it didn't even occur to me until i was watching it just this past time before we recorded this that in the first four movies bond is basically saved at the last minute by somebody else dr no is the only one where it's really all bond's doing and it's really funny that bond got this reputation like He's the one who always saves the world, and the girl's just the damsel in distress, because Tanya saved him in From Rush With Love, 
random bomb squad guy saved Bond <laughs> from destroying all of Kentucky in Goldfinger. And Bond gets saved by Domino here. And it's such a dramatic moment. They have the music. Dun, dun, dun. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm glad I killed him. And Bond's like, you're glad? <laughs> <laughs> So at the end of the day, again, Bond really doesn't... He always is about to die, James, and it's always... Like, what if she tripped at coming up the stairs or something and was just like, you know, half a second too late? I'm just flabbergasted they survived that. How fast... We talked about how fast the boat was, how fast the wench was <laughs> need... that lifted them up into the air. Like, that should have ripped their arms out of the stock. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't just fall off it straight away. It was so fast. We need to redub the whole scene with the boat with Benny Hill music. That's what it was like. <laughs> but yeah, and I and I did anyone notice that in the credits we don't get James Bond will return. Yeah, yeah plus at, it's two years until the next one too. Mm, we had four and four, well, four and three years essentially, and now we're about to have a two-year gap, which in the nineteen sixties is a fucking long time. The whole order got mixed up because, from what uh, the story is, at least. The original idea was to follow uh, Goldfinger with Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Then the Kevin McClory thing happened, and they're like, well, let's just get this movie out of there so we can get Kevin McClory out of the way. Like, blame Kevin McClory for everything. Fucking so McClory. They Thunderball. And, but then the next movie was supposed to be Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and they advertised it, and we'll get into that when we get to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. They, they even started casting the movie. They were announcing it, like, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is going to begin filming. And because they couldn't get the right locations, they changed it to only look twice. So I think that by this point, they just didn't know what they were doing yet because there was so much of a mix-up of glory. And they, they, they had no clue. They were winging it. Sorry, I'm not laughing at you, Cole. I just had this picture of, like, James Bond will maybe return. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm just laughing at my own jokes, apparently, now. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was Thunderball. Uh, anything else to add on that? Let's talk about really quickly about uh, Domino. We covered Largo. We talked a lot about Domino, but anything else to say on Domino? I kind of gave my opinion. I think that she's easily in my top five, maybe top three favorite Bond girls. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, I don't think she's in my top ten, but she's definitely not the worst. I like how she has backstory, in engagement, off, um I think she has her moments, uh, like the reveal that her brother died and her killing Lago. But again, there's just something about her that's not up there with some of the other ones. She's just a bit flat. But I do really like Domino. This was probably my favourite watching of Domino. I've appreciated her more when I was really looking into it. don't know if she'd be top ten, but she's I like her a lot. And she's easily, to this point, the hottest Bond girl we've had. And um, Nikki Van Der Zyl's probably shining performance up until this point in the franchise. <laughs> I can't believe you guys are saying maybe not in your top ten. I mean, are there nine other Bond girls? Like, if if you have like I don't know, like I like Mary Goodnight, but if Mary Goodnight ranks higher, then maybe there's something wrong. <laughs> Colin, Mary Colin, when you get to my top ten Bond girls, you are going to make sure you go back and re-edit all of these episodes and take me <laughs> out of them. <laughs> um. Jinx, about Christmas, Paris oh, Carver. Oh, Paris Carver's not... Come on. <laughs> anyway. Uh, do we have a... We cut, cut, pretty much covered everything. Do we have uh, a kiss-kiss count for this one? Well, first of all, we need to get to our... Kiss-kiss-bang-bang kiss, bang. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang count. Oh, look at that seamless transition. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> but nobody realizes it. it. Of course, that's added in post production. But no, Noah is singing along behind the scenes. That's what you don't hear. Is that Noah's right it to be. It's all live. <laughs> McClory was gonna do it, but we were just gonna keep him happy. But um, uh, yeah. what did you have, Ben and Noah, for the kiss kiss count? I want Noah to go. Save me to last because you just <laughs> laugh at me. <laughs> Uh, shockingly shocking. Um, shocking. <laughs> Simply shocking. Zero Bon James Bond. Am I right? Yeah. He, a lot of opportunities. Yeah, there's about three opportunities where he's about to say it. And then one time he gets interrupted, doesn't he? He's like Bond and it's like, ah, no. Um, but no, he, I didn't get a Bond James Bond. I got a James Bond and a Bond, but not a yeah, together. And zero martini, but one conch shouter. And yeah. Don Perignon in the uh, Beluga Caviar. Yeah, but uh, we write zero martini. Yeah, I'd agree with both. Zero for both. Yeah, but I'm going to uh, say for the Bond James Bond, does it need to be Bond who says it? Because Fiona does say in her speech mocking Bond, she goes, Bond James yeah. Bond. I'd say yes, it does need to be him who says it. Yeah, I think it has to be him. Okay, and so what about the, the kiss, kiss count? Uh, the I underwater bubbles count. The bubble Three. bubble count. <laughs> Three, you've got Patricia, yep. you've got Fiona, and you've got Dominic. Mm-hmm. I got three. Paula should have been in there. It's bizarre that she wasn't. But... <laughs> Random <laughs> girl he had a dance with in the Kiss Kiss bar. <laughs> Bond went back to that club after Fiona was shot. It's like, my wife just passed away. How about that? Bone the <laughs> shit out of her. Here's the one that's always uh, getting... Oh, uh, all right, are you ready? Kills, the bang, the kill. Mm-hmm. 24... Oh, oh. <laughs> well, hang on, that's close. I got 23, so maybe oh. I don't feel as bad as mine. <laughs> I had 19. I yeah, we'll had... go with Colin. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys think... can remember the earlier, because I'm, I'm a little bit shaky on a lot of the scenes at Palmyra, Palmyra and a lot of the repetitive underwater Bond spying on the Disco Volante scenes. But um, I'm I know not sure if I, I got count... it exactly, but I don't think I missed I mean, I don't think I added five extra kills. I'm pretty sure no, I didn't I, add kills. Unless think... you were counting a lot. Because here's the thing. If it was that scene that I was talking about where Bond shot once and then they all started shooting each other, the first time I saw that, I'm like, oh, there goes one, there goes one, there goes one. Yeah, I got a bit confused in terms of the end and I was just sort of marking down random ones in his spree kill. So, um, I feel like I... it's in the 20s. Well, so we had 19, 23, and 24, so the logical thing would be to go with 20, 21, or 22. We're doing <laughs> What's the average? The other sad thing is we're doing this count, and we're putting it up updated every single time, but we're not giving any any type of argument as to what it is. We're bringing you no facts, people. We're just well, throwing yeah. out random numbers at this point. Tell if us we had, what's wrong. If we had to add up all of our three totals and get the average, the average is 22, so... And, of course, it is hard because what happens with those underwater ones? Like, Bond shot uh, about a half dozen guys with a spear in the chest. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're dead, but what about the ones with the oxygen? So, yeah, let's just here's, throw here's what we could do. Could we say 22, which is the average, and then if someone listens to this and has a different count or knows differently, we can happily change it. We will happily say we're wrong. Yeah. Go right, for 22. it. 22. Sure. Are we going with 22, then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's the closest we've ever had to like my number. I'm so happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben was counting the guy that got his mask ripped off underwater. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'll get it right one total? time. I know one of these movies. I'm going to get the kill right count right. <laughs> uh, so total. Do you want to know what we're up to? Is that the question? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So Bond kills them with 22, brings us up to 58. 
Um, bubbly underwater moments are up to 12. And martinis and Bond James Bonds are unchanged at 3 and 2. That's all that rehab, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, Still it's funny. Bond. 50% of the movies, we've had no vodka martinis and no Bonds James Bonds. So, so we were talking about, like, Dr. No and everything and from Russia with Love and how in these first few movies all the staples of James Bond really started here but we're starting to see now that some of these things like Bond James Bond they may have done it once or twice but they had no clue at this point that it was going to become a thing yeah exactly um cool alright yeah uh, final <laughs> thoughts on Thunderball um, uh, rankings uh, uh, let's talk uh, about uh, the rankings here first yeah. so uh, Hall of Fame Hall of Fame yes um, we're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to follow Noah's suggestion. Uh, <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> Noah, are you going to say the chase? Uh, no, I'm not going to say the chase. It's my favorite. I don't think that's like a really iconic one that we have to have. But I do think um, in golfing, Ben just said the three are all in agreement. So I'm interested to hear some of you because it's not quite as obvious. I think jetpack's <laughs> obvious. Yeah, I was yeah. going to add jetpack. I think it's probably the only obvious one, and that and get, got the point. So got I'd the say, point, yeah. Yeah, well, I'd say the entire scene, Bond and Domino on the beach, and Vargas is killing. No, yeah, not, not just the kill, but the entire mm. reveal. So, the, so Domino, Bond on beach, okay. I've yeah. got a suggestion that I want to hear your thoughts. I'm going to get it shut down here, but I thought I would put it up on the board, and you can tell me no. No. Uh a bit out of the water in this, the gun barrel sequence. This is the first time we've got a James Bond actor doing the gun barrel, and it's such an iconic part of the series that. Except that he barely kept his balance. <laughs> Drunk so James Bond. That's why he went to rehab because he couldn't yeah, stay his feet. The gun barrel That's my was suggestions. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know about that. It wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, tough because if you yeah because if you looked at this in you know at the end of um, Skyfall Spectre like I mean that's yeah, I guess we've had a Bond James Bond moment on there haven't we? Um, but I mean that's a bit different. I mean the gun barrel is something you would just associate with the Bond movie because then I guess would you then in one movie put the most iconic opening title sequence in there as well? Then based on that, maybe. What? I would say that, like, the funny thing is, is, again, I'm a huge fan of Thunderball, um, probably, obviously, bigger than you two, and despite all my complaints, I still hold it in very high regard, but I'm having a hard time finding these iconic scenes in here, so yeah. I, I really think that, even though you said there's some criticism, it might be overly long, that the underwater battle really yeah. is the one that deserves to be here. Uh, I, I feel maybe. like a lot of people hate that, though. Well, but sure that, a lot of people hate me expect I mean, me to talk. Yeah, nobody's screaming for the introduction of Vargas, but they're talking about the underwater. <laughs> hey, the there's our third one, Vargas. <laughs> We've got Vargas's death. That or the backstretching machine. <laughs> <laughs> or speedy boat. <laughs> I would I would agree with Colin uh, for the underwater fight, just because due to, unless, Noah, you can sell us on something extremely brilliantly. Well... I can't sell you on anything extremely brilliantly for this film that we haven't already mentioned, but I'm putting it up on the board and we can decide between the underwater and this scene that I'm about to say. And uh, Colin kind of said he didn't like it before, but I think it's quite iconic. Um, Bond versus Largo, your specter against mine. Is, is that worthy? I think no. it's a funny scene, but I think... <laughs> The scene that follows it with Bond and Domino was a much stronger scene. Um, 
so I think that the, the whole Spectre mention thing was funny, but I don't think the scene stands out as iconic. Plus, because this is something we see so many times from this point on, Bond playing cards, and I can't even really understand the rules. Like, what were they playing? High card? Like, it didn't even make sense. again? Banco or something? Like, yeah. it, I, I couldn't even understand it. I'm to say... I would say that the only other one I would put up is the first, like, the big evil boardroom scene at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. I want to put that up there instead of underwater. I would say the underwater battle holds being a little bit... All right, Ben, you're the decider. Fuck, I'm the one who just put that up and I agree with Colin. (laughs) Half of one scene, half of the other. Um, I think that's not only as iconic to this, but it's iconic to the entire series and all those parodies and everything else comes from pretty much that scene. Uh, that's my vote. So Ben, you're the decider here. I'm trying to think what did, what did Colin do to piss me off during our rankings cast in Survivor Oz? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, no, no. I'm going to go with underwater scene. Sorry, Noah. There we go. I know I was the one who just suggested the boardroom one. <laughs> but... Well, if you're listening, to send in your suggestions. <laughs> do we have an email? Now. 007 at hotmail.com. We do have that an actually, email. Oh. That it actually is, Ali. I'm not even joking. <laughs> I've, I've not checked it once since I started it. So. <laughs> All right. There's our three. Facebook is yeah. probably easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, are we missing anything, Noah? You <laughs> rankings <laughs> you now. Ranking. The rankings, yeah. So uh, I'll start. Well, I'll go last year. Noah, where do you rank this out of the four movies? Do I have a feeling anyway. Number four. And that's yeah. appropriately Doctor No, number four. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm going number four as well. <laughs> the retired I'm number four. I'm to hear this one here from Colin. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going number three, and uh, I think that this is stronger than Doctor No because even though it has more issues, I think the strengths of the movie are much better. I think it's a bigger movie, but it really, as good as it is, it is not from Rush with Love and it is not Goldfinger, so I'm putting it right at three. Number three. And do we have final thoughts on Thunderball that we haven't covered so far? Anything of value to add, Noah? Um, I think this is riddled with a lot of bad, um, and a lot of this is, let's face it, boring. But at the same time, Kevin McBoring, um, McBoring, I don't know. Um, But at the same time, it's a Bond movie, and it's really got some great scenes, Kiss Kiss Club, Got the Point, Underwater... So it's not like I hate this film, but it is one I've watched the least out of a lot of them. Probably the least viewed Connery one, actually, definitely. So I won't be coming back to this one in a long time, but it's not like I'll never watch it again. I still enjoy the film. It's just not as good as the first three. It's too long, I have to say. Um, If you cut a bit out of it, it would probably be a little bit better. Keep it a bit snappier. Um, I'm reading a list here, the seventh equal longest Bond movie, um, joint with The Living Daylights and Goldeneye at 130 minutes, and give me 130 minutes of The Living Daylights and Goldeneye any day of the week. Um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service is longer. That's uh, is. 142 minutes, but On Her Majesty's Secret Service is so good. Oh, There's I thought you said that the longest one. No, oh. seventh, seventh longest. Oh, yeah, joint sorry. seventh longest, I meant. Apologies there if you didn't hear that bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it had been a while since I'd watched it, um, and honestly, I didn't feel like I'd miss it. I mean, I, did, I don't hate hate it, but it's still, I don't feel one of the best. Um, and just quickly, we, we touched a little bit on the box office. I know I said I'd bring that up in Goldfinger. Yeah, as Colin pointed out, um, success most successful in terms of adjusted for inflation, uh, $607 million just had a Goldfinger. If you 
take out uh, inflation, it is 10th, uh, 63 million lodged between Octopussy and Never Say Never Again. So um, good good news is that it made $8 million more than Never Say Never Again did. Uh, I think the strengths of this movie far outweigh the negatives, and there are considerable amount of negatives. More that I picked up on this time trying to analyze it than I ever would have in the past. But one thing I want to say is, I mean, I, I watched this on Blu-ray on a 50-inch TV, and this is one of the few classic, I think there's three classic Bond movies that I had the pleasure of seeing on a big screen in the theater. And last year, this and Honor Majesty's Secret Service one night were playing a double feature, and I saw those. And this movie is so good to see in a theater, and it doesn't matter, this 1965. It is such a huge movie, and it really just brings, like, the underwater scenes you don't mind that they're running 10 minutes long. So um, I, I still love this movie and uh, only a few minor complaints after watching it this time, but uh, great characters. I mean, Domino and Fiona and but Largo and Vargas uh, do drag it <laughs> down. A little. Next time we're getting to you only live twice. So just a little bit of a tease. Uh, what are your guys feelings on you only live twice? Uh, this first three trilogy was so great. Then Thunderbolt kind of goes down have to say Thunderbolt and You Only Live Twice are not some of my favourite Bond films and weaker Connery films. So it's it's been a while, so it will be interesting to see if I like it more than Thunderbolt. I, I can't say for sure at this point. It has its strengths, but like this one, it also has a lot of weaknesses, so that should be a fun one to go back to. And I just well, finished the book. Well, as I said to you guys off-air, I often forget this movie exists sometimes, and I often always think that this is a, a Roger Moore movie. To me, it's the forgotten Sean Connery movie. It is. I think I have probably only ever seen this movie once, back when I was, you know, 15. It has been that long since I have seen it. It's probably why I forget it exists. So, I'm almost going into watching this like I've never seen it before. Um, so, I am looking forward to seeing how it uh, plays out, because, of course, this will be the last taste of Connery we get before we get to Lazenby! <laughs> but um, I think I'm more excited for the fact that we can put Connery away for at least one film. Not that I don't like Connery, but because we're so close to Lazenby, I can smell him. What does he smell like, Ben? Oh, just like Old amazing <laughs> Australian beef. Ben has been consuming pounds upon pounds of conch chowder during this episode, so you can tell it's gotten to him. I, I'm going to say if you only live twice, Noah, you mentioned the book, and I'd be almost more excited to talk about the book than the movie, because the book is one of my all-time favorites. The movie, if I spent this movie defending Thunderball, I'm going to be the harshest critic of You Only Live Twice, and it's always been a mystery to me. This is one of those movies, kind of like Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where you have an equal amount of people who consider it one of the best Bond movies, then you'll also find the same amount of people who consider it one of the worst Bond movies. And I'm definitely not very high on this movie. And I've rewatched it recently. Uh, I'm interested to rewatch it again. But I find that every time I do watch this, I just, until it gets to the volcano, I just couldn't care less. So uh, I think it's going to be more fun to talk about than any of the ones we've had so far because we're all going to be much more critical of it. Really quickly before we close it out, uh, got to keep the continuity of these uh, podcasts that we at least started in the last one. Uh, our dear friend Peter Travers over at Rolling Stone. Uh, oh, what a great oh, guy he is. Uh, Thunderball came in at ninth on his <laughs> list of best and worst movies of all time, just behind The Spy Who Loved Me, and absolutely appallingly just ahead of Die Another Day. Fuck you, Peter Travers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. The conch chowder is worn off. <laughs> 
I think that's it. Uh, everybody out there, we're, we're glad that we're getting some feedback on the show now. We're getting um, at least a couple times a week some comments from people. And uh, definitely like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and email us at double all seven at hotmail.com <laughs> so that you can wait about three months for a response from ben. i'll wait for the conch chowder to calm down <laughs> yeah ben on his conch he'll be hitting on you in his response email Underwater. Uh, <laughs> he'll be making ben will be making bubbles with anybody who emails him <laughs> sweet bubbles will be made <laughs> Uh, but that's that's it for Thunderball, one of my favorite movies. Uh, thank you for keeping it clean to Ben. And uh, uh, <laughs> clean as you did, I guess. And uh, um, I'm I guess this is signing off. I'm from again Station C in Canada, Colin Helding. I'm Noel Groves, and I think we got to the point of this podcast pretty well. And I'm Ben Waterworth, and remember kids, if you're underwater, bubbling is harder than it looks. And blame Kevin McClory. It's the first time I've tasted women, they're rather good. If one of my friend's sisters went out, she's just dead. Mind your off. Some men just don't like to be driven. No, some men just don't like to be taken for a ride. Mr. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Something pretty big. Every double O man in Europe's been rushed in. And the Home Secretary, too. That's why he's probably lost a dog. You would like Bond there because he tries to make love to your woman? Because he is Bond and, as an enemy of Spectre, should be killed. Yes, I thought I saw a Spectre at his shoulder. The Spectre of Defeat. Like a knife, he cuts through. He's from like a man. So do you. Well, I've had quite a bit of practice. That gun looks more fitting for a woman. Do you know much about guns, Mr. Bond? No, I know a little about women. Codename, Thunderbolt. Of does not drink, does not smoke, does not make love. What do you do, Vargas? Have some of my conch chowder. You've been reading the wrong books, Mr. Bond. About conch chowder? Seeing an aphrodisiac. But it just so happens that I like conch chowder. Oh. Take off your bathrobe, please. You never see that as if you meant it. Behave yourself, Mr. Bond. I think he got the point. So, what sharp delight you've got. Wait till you get to my teeth. Well, hello, double O. Sorry about that, Felix, but you're just about to say 007. Sit down, number two, number ten, number five, number eleven, number seven. Tell him Paul is dead. Some cases call it the rag. I'm not surprised. Oh, get off. I'm glad I killed him. You're glad. See you later. Alligator. Come on!